June the 12th, 2020, that's what G said, busy episode, we're going to get right into it, we talk some NBA with Alex Regla, we have some Friday Belmont, some Friday Churchill, some Saturday Belmont, some Sunday Lone Star, then we talk All Elite Wrestling with Alex, we preview Backlash with Darren Zocali, and it's on to Halloween Havoc with Darren and Andrew, enjoy! We know the NBA is coming back. Yes, folks. Uh, I, I think uh, what Bill referred to as NBA holes. I'm one of them. And uh, the gentleman joining me right now, you you all know, he is also one of them. We are huge NBA fans. We're big Laker fans. But we're very excited that the NBA is going to be back. They have a uh, kind of a tentative plan, and they're going to try to work backwards from it. It looks like the dates are going to be either July 30th or July 31st. And we're going to talk all about that plan to get the NBA back up and started with our good friend. He uh, is always on when we talk basketball here, Alex Regla. Alex, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Gino. Thanks again for having me on. I think this is like the fourth, third, fourth yeah. time. At least, and you've been on the uh, Mike Abadir show with me a few times yeah. before that too, the other show that I co-host. So anytime it's basketball, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you in, and we're gonna even talk a little more than basketball today. We're gonna talk some wrestling. We just we haven't had any basketball to talk the last few months, Alex. So um, exciting! If you're an NBA fan, we we're not necessarily having to deal with what baseball is having to deal with uh, with the players and the union going back and forth. The NBA said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna circle this date, and it's gonna be July 30th, 31st." And we're going to have 22 teams coming into uh, the Disney Wide World of Sports Complex. They're going to finish out, I believe, uh, the last eight games or so of the year and then get into the playoffs. And the NBA season will be completed by October the 12th. This is going to be something that we've, unlike, unlike any you know, version of sports that we've ever seen. No, absolutely. And I think everybody was kind of expecting that the NBA would return. It was just a matter of, what it would look like if they were going to go like the World Cup route or would they go like uh, a full one through 16 where the conferences kind of go out the window. But they ended up come, coming to this uh, kind of one through eight kind of traditional. But the that play in system with the number eight seed, that's kind of the new thing mm-hmm. uh, that they're planning on doing. So it'll be interesting, especially for the Lakers as the number one seed. And it looks like they'll be the number one seed unless they kind of struggle in these next eight games that they do play. But uh, yeah, I think as a Lakers fan, and it's just someone who covers the Lakers and is kind of invested in them, it'll be really interesting to see how that number eight seed uh, shakes out. So just uh, for some of you out there who may not have heard or know, uh, don't know some of the specifics, so what the NBA has decided to do now is they're going to be playing in what they're calling the bubble in, uh, at, at Walt Disney World, and 22 teams are going to be finishing out the season. The reason why they picked 22 was because they wanted to pick teams that were within striking range of making it into the the eighth seed or the bottom of the playoffs. They felt like eh, some of those teams that have already been eliminated and had no opportunity to make them, uh, to make the playoffs or to make a, a run for a title, you didn't need to bring all that extra personnel into the bubble and add all these other people who you know, could be just more um, more opportunity for folks to catch the virus or for someone to become infected. So what I like about the NBA, more than anything, I'm just a big fan of Adam Silver. I think he he does a really good job of of listening. He seems like he goes back and forth. He cares a lot about the players. He cares a lot about the fans. And I, he he, I just I kind of like just trust him in in situations like this. I do too, and I think, um, like I said earlier, I think we all expected the NBA might return, but it sounds like Adam Silver and kind of the players' union and everyone involved 
really wanted to make sure before they decide on coming back, everyone's safe. The players are on the same page. They take a vote on it. They contacted some players. They had some private phone calls with the like a group of stars, like with LeBron James and AD involved. So it sounds like they want to make sure everyone, every party involved is okay with this before they go to this bubble. And yeah, it's just, it, it's kind of refreshing to have a sports owner like Adam Silver, who is pretty wide open and is kind of uh, progressive in that way. And so we will have an eight game Finish to the season which will basically Give an opportunity to some of those teams That weren't in the top eight to try to make A little run to get there or to get a little bit Closer because you mentioned a, a, a Key point if there is one Of the, the if there are teams That are within four games Of that eighth seed if you're And you're in ninth you're going to have the opportunity To have a plan where You could beat the eighth seed Twice they'd only have to beat you once And then you would play your way in I think the the running joke out there has been that um, this is like the Zion rule <laughs> that uh, <laughs> you know the NBA wants, which you can understand. They wanted to give some of their stars the opportunity to get in to a, a playoff. You know, Zion missed a ton of the year. the The Pelicans had been playing very well. Someone like Damian Lillard now he and the the Trailblazers have an opportunity to kind of play their way in. So. Um, I, I get this from a, a league standpoint I guess as a Laker fan I'm a little nervous I wouldn't want to have those Pelicans uh, in a first round series That would be fun But they don't. They wouldn't feel a whole lot of pressure against the Lakers I, I think that's the, the team I think either them or Portland If, if Memphis does kind of just Kind of blow it here Because Memphis, in, you know, like you are saying They wanted to make sure those teams had a chance Just because the season was kind of cut off And everything But they did give no, the number 18 Memphis A lot of chances to stick as the number eight team. So mm-hmm. as long as Memphis doesn't blow it, I think I'd be most afraid of playing a team like Portland or New Orleans, like you mentioned, just because New Orleans is so young and you never know with young teams, they really have nothing to play for. It's just all kind of icing at that point. And there's also that extra kind of baggage where like guys like Ingram, Lonzo and Hart were traded from the Lakers. So they, you know, those guys would want to, they would love nothing more than sure. to, to knock out the Lakers in the first round. Uh, so I guess from, um, from from one sense, this does you know help. I think some of the teams that might not have been you know getting a home court advantage or you know getting you know um, you know having a series or two where you're going to be at home because you know we look at the Lakers and this maybe doesn't affect them as much. They've been a really good road team all throughout the year, but the Lakers and the Bucks they had you know excellent 65 game stretches or so where they built up. Um, these great records that were likely going to give them the opportunity to have home court advantage through. And now you're going to be in a situation where there really is no home court. And I, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. Like, I, I wonder which teams do have an advantage yeah. in that situation. And like you mentioned, Lakers and Bucks both respectively had the best road records in their conference this year. So you would kind of assume like those guys, those teams wouldn't be affected as much as, say, a, a team who kind of really thrives at home. Like a Denver, who's always kind of had. It's that. a great point, or a Utah, yeah, Utah, they're, they're, exactly, yep. or even Portland. Like, uh, like the mm-hmm. Lakers hate going to Portland, so yeah, uh, I think the Lakers and the Bucks specifically uh, don't mind this as much. The same, same with the Clippers. Like the Clippers wouldn't want to get in a matchup against the Lakers, where they would have to split that home court advantage or not have it at all. And uh, yeah, I, w- I was just thinking, like, I'm assuming the veteran teams and those teams who do well on the road would be kind of. Serve the best in this type of situation Whereas a young team might be rattled If they're not at a strictly 
behind their home crowd or don't have that playoff experience to begin with. And if if nothing else, a team like the Lakers have proved all year that they have this insanely impressive chemistry that they built from day one. And it sounds like that's just going to translate over no matter what situation, because they've gone through so much as a team this year. I, th- I think so too. I kind of feel that same way. You you started to get to a point, which I want to talk a little bit about too. Um, what's, what's interesting about this is that it's just going to be different. Now, um, m- most of us have never been in a situation where we're, you know, in a bubble like this, where you're isolated for a couple months, where you don't have the complete freedom to just, you know, you have a bad day, you go for a drive, or you go have a drink, or you go meet with someone. Like, there are going to be a lot of players um, that aren't used to what this entails. And I, I was reading there were some um, some of the the team like psychologists and stuff that might they were a little bit worried that there are are some people who may not respond well to this. I think you hit a great point. It feels like the teams that have really good leadership. I think we'll be okay here And this doesn't bother me as some something for the Lakers But maybe a young team and Maybe even like a team like we were talking about with the Pelicans Or, or one of them You just never know how someone's going to react in a situation That they've never been in Exactly And I, I think teams like the Lakers, like the Bucks, I think that's what they're kind of banking on In this type of situation That that team chemistry they built all year That roster construction full of veterans Like a Jared Dudley and LeBron obviously Just having guys like that who've been through wars and gone through all this type of stuff and seen almost everything will at least kind of prepare them more for this unique experience than say a first, like a rookie, like a John Morant, if it's Mm -hmm. like a Memphis or someone like that, who's first of all has to deal with first time playoffs and also dealing with this, you know, insanely scary pandemic that's going on and playing in this totally new environment. And I think those veteran teams probably will have an advantage. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Um, a couple of more specifics to go through. So, um, just this is kind of reading from uh, one of the Woj and Bobby Marks articles that came out a little earlier today. So, um, 14 of the teams that are there are going to be eliminated within 53 days. And then uh, only four teams are going to be there remaining after 67 days. So, I guess when you put it in that sense of just a couple of months, it doesn't feel as as bad as when you look at the grand scheme of things and it maybe it feeling like you're going to be there for July even through October A lot of these teams won't be there that long And um, the NBA Is hoping to Kind of work something out where Once teams get eliminated The family members for some of the other teams Can come into the bubble And and so that way they're not going to be Some of these teams players won't be away from their family For all that long which I think is a really good Idea too Um, you want to try to keep These players as happy as possible in a crazy world Um, We've got Training uh, camps that are going to go from July 9th through 11th Teams will briefly quarantine before beginning formal training camps And then regular season games resuming on July the 30th Um, Let's see, anything else to mention on here? Oh, and then uh, this is another thing So the free agent players, you know, such as Mm -hmm. DeMarcus Cousins, Isaiah Thomas um, Or even players like J.R. Smith, Jamal Crawford who weren't on rosters They are now eligible to, to sign into open rosters Um... There's going to be a one-week transaction window in late June That's going to give teams the opportunity to waive or sign a player Do you think the Lakers will bring DeMarcus back? I think that's the name that a lot of people have kind of Either him or J.R. Smith that they've been linked mm-hmm. to the most And and DeMarcus, e- even though he did play this year And he had that injury that you know cost him the year It seems like he was really liked in the locker room And it seems yes. like there was kind of like a wink-wink thing When he got released that, hey we need this roster spot for Markeith Morris, but you know, next year 
you know, we might just sign you again. It, it seems like there's, because even when he was cut, he would still come around the later training facility yeah. and mm-hmm. he had workout. So I'm not sure who they would cut because um, they would still have to cut someone to, to sign DeMarcus Cousins, I believe. I mean, unless yeah, because they don't have a roster. It says uh, eight teams: uh, Denver, Clippers, Memphis, OKC, Phoenix, Portland, Sacramento, and San Antonio. They have open roster spots right now. Exactly. Yeah. So unless they think a guy like maybe Dion Waiters just didn't work out before we even got to see him play, or or whatever, or, or we don't even know what Demarcus Cousins, you know, just him specifically is able to do at this stage. We don't know how healthy he is, or or really. I mean, they have a lot of bigs already. They have Dwight yeah. McGee. Yeah. AD is probably going to play a lot more center in the playoffs, so I'm not sure where that leaves a guy like DeMarcus. But um, I, I, maybe a guy like J.R. Smith makes some sense if they need yeah. another wing, a defender, a shooter. But I I mean, I wouldn't be uh, super surprised if they signed one, but I also wouldn't be not surprised if they, they signed someone. And uh, a few of the, the last things we'll talk about when, uh, in NBA, it was just a, an unfortunate, obviously, eh, everything going on, it was for the Lakers as far as timing They were really playing the best Ball of all year yeah. Right when things went went wrong They had ju- they had strung together a couple Impressive wins over the Bucks And then over the Clippers Kind of the two teams that people had circled and said Well you can't beat them so you're not that good Well they, they checked those boxes And then boom um, Unfortunately we haven't seen them since So um, it, it's just going to be really interesting It felt like things were starting to really come together For the Lakers for that final stretch And on the opposite sense It seemed like um, Milwaukee was was kind of Hitting their first real struggle So I guess from, from that sense The top two teams are going to be coming into this um, Rested Ready to rock And, I, and that last kind of thing Like, do, do you think this additional time Helps any teams in particular I, I For me maybe a team like the Clippers Who you know Paul George and Kawhi mm-hmm. could, could have used that extra time off Yeah I was thinking the Clippers as well Just because all year they have been Doing this uh, resting their Players and stuff mm-hmm. like that and I mean I always go back to if you give LeBron extra time extra rest Like that's always going to be a good yeah. thing especially If he just has to play eight games and just Go straight crazy playoff LeBron And I, I think that definitely helps him. AD has been kind of dealing with injuries kind of off and on all year. Um, so I think for any time, anytime you could have those star players around the league get some extra rest, that's good. But in terms of getting players back, I, I see a team like Portland. You would get a guy like Nurkic and Zach Collins back, yeah. two bigs that can really help them, especially, especially in a series against the Lakers who have a lot of size. So I think that helps them a lot. Um, just, you know, just around the league, I think this was a good chance to get Players healthy and stuff like that So I think that kind of helps everyone Alex Regla We're going to have a a lot more basketball To discuss uh, soon I can't wait till you know uh, August the first couple days of August When I get you back on and we're actually able to Recap some of these first few games it's just going to be It's going to be different and and I'm glad It seems like the NBA did a great job Of saying hey we can't go straight into a Playoff we know this is going to be a little weird Let's have it like finish the season We'll give some some teams a chance to get back in And more than anything I think Even even more than giving teams a chance to get in It gives them What eight games to kind of work out Some of the yeah. issues that they might have Yeah like a little preseason I, I've, mm-hmm. I've always definitely did it I always definitely uh, wanted them to Get a little practice in before the playoffs I mean uh, you understand Like there's going to be more risk involved The more games you play there and everything like that But in terms of the actual basketball Performance and how well everyone plays you, you definitely need a warm up and I think that's Kind of what they wanted and the players wanted that too 
Alex Regla uh, Tell us about uh, Throwdowns And tell us about where we can find some of your work online Yeah, so I started a newsletter called Throwdowns Like you mentioned Mostly Lakers stuff But also some wrestling things And I've been lucky to interview a few cool people So yeah, you can subscribe for free Throwdowns.substack I've been pretty busy I've gone back to work So I have been able to write um, as much as I've I've wanted to, but yeah, I, I it's pretty cool to kind of make my own little website and write about the things I want to write about. Alex Regla, we're going to be uh, cutting off the NBA talk right now, but this isn't the only time the folks are going to be hearing you on That's What G Said. A little later on in the episode, they're going to hear us uh, talk a little All Elite Wrestling and recap Dynamite. So, uh, Alex, thanks for now, but we'll be talking to you again very soon. Sounds good, Gino. Thank you to Alex for talking some NBA. It's not the, f- the only time you're going to be uh, hearing Alex on this show where you discuss AEW All Elite Wrestling Dynamite coming up in just a little bit. Right now, we're going to focus on horse racing. We're just kind of going to quickly go through our plays for the weekend, a couple different racetracks to uh, to discuss. Next week is a big weekend at Belmont, and we'll have a ton of horse racing uh, throughout the week. We'll start playing that Canterbury Pick 5 a little bit, I think. I think every episode we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that pick five. It just makes a lot of sense as a a low takeout wager. Nonetheless, let's get into Belmont for Friday. A couple plays for you. Let's get to race number four for our first play at Belmont, and I'm gonna go to the five uh, Torres Del Payne, whose career best was going long on the grass when that second in the Laurel Futurity behind Irish Mia's. I just think he's going to sit close throughout. It seems like this is a really good spot for him. He's in for 40. He was in stakes races a couple times, but he seemed a little bit overmatched last time out. And I think this is a good spot for Torres Del Payne, the number five. Make sure to use him in your exotics and make a win wager if you can get around 7-2 to two on that one. Let's get to race number six at Belmont. So we're talking Belmont for Friday, June the 12th. And I'm going to go to the number seven in race number six. That is Miss Munnings. She was saving ground inside. She had to alter course late when uh, when things got tight inside. That was the difference between you know fifth and third. You look at her effort, you see that she finished fifth. Doesn't look as great, but she should have been third that day. And she was in a race where Silver Kitten, the second place finisher, came back to win an optional 62 non two next out. Third place finisher came back to win a first level allowance. She ran the same race that she's been running. I think she was just in a, a tad too tough, and she had that little bit of trouble. If she runs that same race, that's good enough to beat this group. If she's seven to two, she's worth the play. That's the number seven, Miss Munnings, in race number six at Belmont on Friday. Let's get to race seven. The one sharp star completely missed the break. Was last. Was ten lengths off. When the winner sat really, really close up, just off. Sharp Star was able to angle three deep and make a huge wide move. Was widest of all in the stretch. The rail draw is the major concern. Going six furlongs. I hope she doesn't break slowly and then get shuffled back. If she's able to work out a nice trip, I think this is a great spot for the one. Sharp Star will make a win wager if we can get anything around four to one. In race number eight, totally respect the two chewing gum. That would be a horse to include. In a lot of your exotics But I think the 6 back to his roots He was up close early on In between horses uh, Last time we saw him And he just got backed up into He lost all chance It was just a brutal, brutal trip In the last 2 starts He's been behind a horse named Faction Cat Who has 8 straight in the money finishes Look at some of his races 
earlier on to in 2018 before he went to the bench. You know, he's he's behind mind control. He's got a good second sprinting on the grass behind Uncle Benny. Those two races are really good. He comes back and he wins a race that's taken off the grass, a, a small stakes race too. And then since then, he needed the first start going long on the grass. He's come back and he, he ran two pretty bang-up races in a row at Tampa. And then legitimate trouble last time out, which is going to build his price up a little bit. Back to his roots. Anything around 8-1 to one or so worthy of a win wager on the six. In the ninth race, I did think Bankett has a legit shot to upset Mr. Buff. I'm just a little concerned that Mr. Buff might be able to to get out front in here. I think the real key to the race are, you know, horses like Blue It and Build to Suit. Can they push Mr. Buff? If so, I think if he gets, you know, pushed at all, a horse like Bankett, who's been coming out of good open company races. He was behind endorsed last time. Then endorsed came back to run really well when finishing second behind Code of Honor. The number one, bank it. Perhaps uh, an exotic single in some of your late exotics. Uh, and maybe, you know, if we can get around five to two, I think that would be a fair price in here. Because to me, it just looks like it's either going to be Mr. Buff. And if it's not Mr. Buff, that means it's it's likely because he got pushed. And I think that sets up for Bankit, who might even be the better horse. Let's go with Bankit. So there's your Belmont Friday, the fourth race, the number five, Torres del Payne. Sixth race, the number seven, Miss Munnings. Seventh race, the one, Sharp Star. Eighth, the number six, Back to His Roots. And the ninth, the number one, Bank It. Good luck Friday at Belmont Park. Let's get you over to Churchill. And we go to Churchill Downs. Let's get your past performances out Friday, June the 12th. A couple plays at uh, Churchill in race number one. I thought that number nine is a, an interesting horse to look at. Rosafa. She cleared the field. She crossed over. I think she just found the mile a little bit too far last time out. Now you get that great cutback from the mile to six and a half furlongs. She's drawn well. She's proven in previous races that she can sit and pass horses if need be. You get the drop in class here from the maiden 20s to the maiden 10. I think Rosafa sitting close on the cutback. Rosafa, make sure to include in all your exotics. Make a win wager. You can get like five to one or so. In race number three, the five fast boat looks like he's in a great spot here. I think he trips out. He gets off the rail, and he had a good start in his most recent race. He was right in the mix early, but a couple horses to the outside lined up. So he ends up getting shuffled. He loses a few lengths. He comes on again. He ends up splitting horses early in the stretch, but he couldn't quite get to the top two. Still a pretty good effort that day from fast boat. And you look at this race with Bulletin drawn in the inside. You have a horse like Copper Town who's fresh, who's got some speed. You have Just Might who's going to be going in here. I think it's going to be a great setup for Fast Boat. Off the pace, anything around 5-2 to two will make a win wager and maybe an early exotic single with Fast Boat. Uh, later in the card at Churchill in race number 6, you know, so if you're playing any kind of the late exotics, I thought you you may not have to go too deep in some of the you know like race number six. Uh, if we move a little later in the card, kicks off your late pick four sequence. Bala Rocks looks like the one to beat. Mick Star looks like the one to catch. Those would be the only two I would think about using in exotics. In, in race number seven, the two, the Great Dansky, I think he's the one to beat, and he can sit off a little bit. But if he gets caught up in a, a quick early pace battle, it, it's the the five Sacred Oath, who's going to get the best trip in here? So Sacred Oath, I would just use, you know, along with the two, two and five in any of your late exotics. In race number eight at Churchill, Erner is the one to beat. 
He broke well. He sat close up. He was within a few lengths. He was bumped a bit, three deep. Uh, he settled into a nice spot. He actually kind of got shuffled a little bit. He was back to sixth, three deep. He's in the second flight. And then he's in between. He makes a nice three deep, a four move up the challenge, gets the win. And he should be sitting close. And a horse who's going to come closing late and has no problem going the mile and an eighth. Because we know uh, we know that with his victory on May the 2nd at Oakland, that's the four hunt the front. I would just be using four and five in the exotics in race number eight. And then uh, in the ninth race, I think you probably want to go a little deeper and spread out. But my top selection here is the two full authority. If we can get six to one, I'm going to make a win wager. He's the one to catch. He He's a three-year-old son of Summer Front who was excellent on the grass. There should be no issue with the turf for him. And he's going to be making his first start on the grass, he's making his fourth career start, he's going to put two starts together second start for the newborn, we know he's got some speed because he showed it sprinting there's not a ton of other speed in here I think he can steal this race I hope they send him hard full authority the number two will make a win wager if we get anything around 6-1 to one. so at Churchill for Friday, in the first, the number 9 Rosafa, in the third, the number 5, Fast Boat and in the ninth, the number 2, Full Authority I would, uh you know, if you're playing any kind of exotics, I uh, I went through those 6th, 7th, and 8th. I didn't think you need to spread out a whole lot to get through those. So, best of luck on Friday at Belmont and on Friday at Churchill. Now we head over to Saturday for a couple plays at Belmont. June the 13th. It's, it's not really like a massive Saturday. Uh, last week was a big Saturday, and next week will be a, another big Saturday. This one's kind of a quiet Saturday. So, we're just going to talk a little bit about Belmont Park. And I'm going to get to race number 2. For the first play over at Belmont And it's going to be the number 10 Quality choice He's coming back to the grass And that's just going to be key for him He's won his last two starts on the grass He's hooked a lot tougher In the the most recent races on the dirt And then go back to some of those grass races Look at how many key races Next out winners Productive races that he's coming out of I think quality choice He's not really quick But if they go slow He has enough speed to show it Quality choice back to the turf I'm going to be using in uh, all exotics and uh, probably making a win wager on the number 10 quality choice. Let's move to race number 6 at Belmont Park. And it is the number 6 Honey Won't, who's been showing good speed going longer. Now you're going to cut back to a sprint. This is a horse who's had no problem sprinting before in the past. I think you'll get the opportunity to have more of a mid-pack trip. And you'll have a lot more punch late with Honey Won't, the number 6, in race number 6. We move to race number 8, the number 7, Officer Hutchie. Most recently, beat two next out winners. He's never run a bad race. Both of his losses came to next out winners. One of them was to Glass Ceiling, who won an open first level allowance after beating him. And the next one was to a Freud of Mama, who won a $100,000 New York bread stakes race after beating Officer Hutchie. It's a great spot for the number 7 in race number 8, Officer Hutchie. In the ninth race... Which is the uh, the feature, the stakes race A couple to mention The the two inside horses look like they're going to get a trip I think Cheez-A Julie's also going to run a lot better She's completely missed the break But there's other speed in here that concerns me That's why the one, Pink Sands Who the one-turn layout should be perfect for I think she ends up getting the trip In what doesn't look to be the strongest renewal of this race on paper The number one Pink Sands from the inside Hopes they go quick early And comes flying late That's race number 9, the 1 So a Belmont in the 2nd race The number 10, quality choice In the 6th, the number 6, Honey Won't 
In the eighth, the number seven, Officer Hutchie, and in the ninth, the number one, Pink Sands. Those are your plays for Belmont Park on Saturday. It's a big day of racing on Sunday over at Lone Star Park. It was a lot of fun uh, handicapping some of these races. I got to see a lot of my old friends from Sam Houston here. So many familiar names for me that I uh, I saw run uh, a bunch earlier this year. Let's go to race number three. I'm going to give you uh, some uh, some horses to play throughout the card. The one Eaton's memory. This filly just doesn't really get any respect ever. She just keeps winning and winning at big prices. Look at some of the races she's won. She broke her maiden at over 13 to 1. Her second victory came at just under 10 to 1. When she won the third time, she was 17 to 1. She had she came back and won her fourth start, or not her fourth start, but her fourth victory, and she was just under 7 to 1. And then when she won for her fifth victory, she was over 9 to 1 in a stakes race. She came back last time and finally got bet, and she won. There is not a lot of speed in here. I think she gets the lead from the rail If for some reason I'm a discreet lady Or somebody else is sent hard I think she actually can sit a little bit here So the one, Eaton's memory If she's anything around 9-2 to two, That seems like a very fair price In race number 3 at Lone Star Race number 4 I'm going to go to the number 4 JC's nightcap Totally respect uh, I'm a bling I think the uh, horse who deserves to uh, You know, to, to take a lot of money Same thing with direct dial Both of them make sense but JC's nightcap, you're going to get Parker to, to jump back aboard. He was up for the two-back second-place finish on the grass at Sam Houston. JC's nightcap, he had a brutal start. He was bumped, he took up, just completely tossed the race. He had no shot after that start. He's got some decent races on the dirt. He's a little bit sneaky in here. JC's nightcap, make sure to use him in your exotics. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything around 6-1 to one on the 4 in race number 4 In the 5th race I'm just not I don't have a strong opinion I do think Redditory is going to be tough I just haven't really been a fan of the way that Lindy Wade Has ridden the number 1 Sunlit song The last 2 He's opened up or he's had opportunities I think you're better off sending him Send him, spread the field out Try to get your separation He just he opened up early and then he slowed things down And they went over, they went sub 50 to the half mile If you want to try to beat a horse like Redditory You gotta try to run him off their feet early And he just hasn't been able to do that So I, I don't know if he's Maybe he's not good enough Maybe Redditory can sit too close I would just really like to see Lindy Wade send him hard Let's go to race number 6 the number five, he's a suitor, is now a first-time gelding. In his debut, he lost. He was third. He was third. He was going long against Open Company. In his second start, he cut back to a sprint against Texas Breds, and he absolutely crushed. Look at this race. There was a very, very fast animal named Wonders of His Love. You have Moro said Ready, who's quick. You have Rock the Devil, who's quick. You have the horse from the inside, Moro Appeal, who's got a little bit of speed. Good judgment is exactly slow, and neither is Bubba Bling. Any combination of them on the front end, it should set up. It should set up for Gold Pilot to come closing, but it also could set up for He's a Suitor. Another one who who gets Parker aboard, very capable pilot. He's a Suitor. Make sure to include him in all of your exotics there. We'll make a win wager if we can get around 8-1 to one or so. In race number 7, the bar alas The 3, always in the money Is the one to beat He was one of 5 next out winners back on February the 26th And then came back and crushed 1 by 8 At Will Rogers in the slop The 
the six no moss tequila is a horse who has some ability for Broberg. They, um, you know, I've, I've seen Carl talk about this horse a little bit, and he's one that the connections were patient. They were able to take a little more time with him, and he's really put it all together in his last two starts. Both of them winning it over five to one. He has the opportunity to sit close. He doesn't need the lead. He can sit just off and try to get the jump, um, you know, on anyone that's going to come from off the pace. I just don't know what how this race is going to shape up, and that that might be where you want to be. He actually could get a great trip, or she, no Mas Tequila, she should be getting a good trip in here, because you have speed, you know, really all throughout the field. Brightest is really quick, always in the money, has can go but can sit. Um, you've seen speed from Dancing All Alone. We've seen speed from Tell Me You Love Me. We've speed, seen speed from pretty much everyone in here. That was my lone concern with no Mas Tequila, but I will use the three and the six. In, uh, in all of the exotics there In race number 7 In the 8th race, I'm going to give Herb's Love An opportunity to bounce back He was in some traffic early, he settled 5th On the inside, and then he started traveling well uh, he, he ran right up onto the heels Of a rival He just had nowhere to go Then he gets a, gr- a, like a dream run through He gets all the way up into 3rd And he just tires late and he fades If you toss that race I keep saying he with Herb's Love too She, if you toss that race her form is excellent prior to that. So good luck to owner Sam Sherman, Parker, and Danny Pish teaming up with Herb's Love. I'll be using Herb in all the exotics. We'll make a win wager if we can get around 6-1. to one. Closing things out in race number 9. What's wrong with the 9, Cowboy Bling? Okay, maybe he's not quite as good as Can I Bob. You're going to get a much better price. There's an opportunity that Can I Bob might get caught up in kind of a pace battle in here. And I don't think that's going to happen for Cowboy Bling. Cowboy Bling, who's been good on the grass as of late and has improved, now gets back to the dirt where he's done some of his better work. Cowboy Bling. Make sure to use him in all of your exotics. That's the number nine. So we got uh, some plays for you at Lone Star for Sunday. The third, the number one, Eaton's Memory. The fourth, the four, JC's Nightcap. The sixth, the five, he's a suitor. The eighth race, the number seven, Herb's Love. And the ninth, the number nine, Cowboy Bling. So- now, generally, when you hear Alex Regla on That's What G Said, we are talking uh, basketball. But Alex is not only a, a huge basketball fan, uh, writes about basketball, covers it. He does a great job analyzing it. He's a big baseball fan, Dodger fan, too. But he's a huge wrestling fan, which I love. And Alex, you're not just like a mainstream Turn on the WWF. You're you're gonna you watch you know New Japan. You watch some of the really good stuff. And one wrestling company that we've had the privilege of kind of being able to follow from the very very beginning over the last year year and a half as they've come together is All Elite Wrestling. I have a ton of fun on Wednesday nights with Dynamite. Oh man, so do I. I think this is the first time, probably since the '90s, I would say where like every week I have to tune into something, and I think that's. With every Wednesday on Dynamite, that's kind of what that feels like again, where it's like, I really don't want to miss this episode. Like, I haven't watched WWE, honestly, in maybe a few months. I, I still keep up with it, like, through podcasts and some uh, some writers I really enjoy. But in terms of actually watching the product, the only thing I watch consistently is AEW. And I got to say, it's it's been a tough time and for all Make major sporting events and major um, organizations too with the pandemic, and we you know we're we're watching wrestling where there are no fans. The one thing that all elite wrestling did immediately, way way better than mm-hmm. WWE, was 
figure out how to work with this no fan um, in the and and by not having a completely empty audience. They had wrestlers um, in the audience, which were able to you could hear them. They were able to spark feuds. They were cutting promos from the audience. Sometimes they were out there drinking and betting on stuff. Taking they bets, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just they they did a great job from the very beginning. You know, figuring things out. They weren't shooting the whole empty arena all that much. I think they've got a great, great team behind them. I think creatively, I think they've really stood out here. I think they've really showed that they have the right kind of minds, you know, backstage and just in terms of their performers. And like you said, just having those guys, those wrestlers out there, like you said, not just to make noise, but to to kind of uh, like push feuds forward further things yeah for the storylines yeah and i early on it was really cool to see like a like a baby face side and the heel side where you kind of have these mm-hmm. different feuding uh invest investments into these matches and i've really just enjoyed how they've done that and then lately uh being able to film at daily's place in jacksonville and kind of having that outdoor setting is really really cool yeah I, they're doing a great job and then now we'll get specifically into this past week so uh aew dynamite you know one thing that was the, the the biggest and most important thing for this company from the very beginning was getting on a TV network that would be accessible for a lot of people, and the fact that they were able to get you know on TNT like this, the same place where we used to watch WCW years back, and a, a place that people associate with wrestling, I think was was the the absolute home run for them. And they've been able to get stars. I mean, you start out with a guy like Chris Jericho, and he's the face of your company. People know that face. He's been on, you know, hosts all sorts of different shows. He's been in the wrestling. I mean, I was watching because I'm doing a recap later of uh, Halloween Havoc 1998. And oh. Like, he was, you know, the, the one with Hogan and the Warrior and everything. He yeah. was out there cutting an incredible promo when he's so young. And it's funny to see him 22 years later on the very same network and – he he came out early on and he was a part of the commentary team for most of the the show anytime he is on commentary he adds so much he's just so entertaining yeah i mean i i, I remember when they're doing wrestler of the year awards and kind of who was in that running and stuff and a lot of people pick chris jericho not only because obviously he's not the performer he used to be but strictly in terms of how important he's been to an AEW and upstart promotion and just adding that kind of credibility just with adding that kind of name and his his this whole inner circle thing and this whole the champion thing just everything is just really working with him and AEW and man that signing was just a home run from them it really was um so we kick off the the show and and Jericho's on commentary and we're going to get the debut from FTR which for those of you who don't know FTR they were the revival in WWE and NXT and they are one of the best tag teams in the world so we get the FTR debut against Butcher and the Blade. Um, I, I like the little things like this too. You got you have Arn Anderson and Tully in the stands I with their note, with their notepads, right? They're scouting and they're and they're taking notes. Um, this this is one thing about AEW too is they don't um, they don't really have as many squash matches, or if they do, they give they give the the, the folks that are getting squashed quite a bit back and forth. This wasn't a squash. Butcher and Blade are are definitely you know. A, a team in the tag team division But this match went pretty long It went back and forth It was a showcase And they I think as a company They just do things a little bit differently They don't really have You know 30 second matches Even a match where You're you're gonna you're, The point is getting somebody over They end up going You know 10 minutes a lot of the time Yeah I think that's a good point I think We can kind of point to like Their 
their bigger guys like a like a Brody Lee. Like I, I remember he had that match against Marco Stunt. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it wasn't a quick five second match. He kind of bullied him to kind of get over how strong and how menacing and how you know how how much of a threat this guy is. But it took him a few minutes to beat a guy like Marco Stunt just to get over like how dominant he could be. And I think that's something I've really enjoyed about AEW is that they like they've always kind of pitched that their wins matter and records matter and kind of this sports element and stuff like that. So these wins over guys who are kind of considered like jobbers or whatever, they they still count as wins in yep. terms of kind of progressing their story. So every match is kind of worth watching just from a wins and losses perspective. So we get the uh, FTR with their debut. They get the, the spike pile driver for the win. And then following this match, we get the Young Bucks. They come out, and then uh, this is what everybody's been waiting for. These two teams have gone back and forth on, uh, on social media over the last couple years, kind of challenging each other, talking about who is, is truly the best tag team in wrestling. Um, they said uh, they called themselves the best. And then Butcher and Blade attack. And then all the tag teams come out. We get Kenny and Paige out there. So. It just kind of shows you there is a ton of talent in this tag team division. If we get some some semblance of uh, you know those three teams with FTR, the Young Bucks, and uh, Omega and Page, that could be a crazy match or just combinations of those you know three teams going one on one. The tag division is I, I think it's my favorite part of AEW. It's just insane how stacked that tag division is. Like we haven't seen Lucha Brothers like in months. No, and they're probably my favorite tag team that they had there going for a while. SCU uh, was huge to start. SCU, they're the first tag champ. Yeah, they weren't even out there. Uh, like you said, Omega and Page were just two guys kind of thrown together, and all of a sudden become just an amazing tag team. Like, they got great chemistry oh. with the drinking and the milk and the stuff. They go back. It's funny. It, it just it just fits. Sometimes you put two people together and it works. And if if Page was as hot as he is right now. When they started this company, he might have been the first champ. He is he is hot right now. He's the, the, everything he's doing. It's it's kind of like a, it's like a he's mixing James Storm and Stone Cold like yeah. together. You know, he's uh-huh. got a little bit of both of them. He's just he's got it right now. He was the hottest wrestler in the world. I think before this whole thing went down, he would just come to the crowd, like just coming to the, like like those hot those hot run-ins. He would just kind of walk in, and just fans would go crazy. Yeah, and like you said, like. He was kind of soured on early because he was kind of pushed into that that first title match, and he could have been the first ever champion. But he was kind of seen as this kind of bland babyface type guy, and then all of a sudden, this character where he just starts drinking. And the <laughs> I, the favorite thing about him is those little labels on his little title card when he comes yeah. out, and they have these little jokes and stuff. But they've all added to this character, and I think just teaming him with Omega, who's kind of like the straight man in the in, the, in that tag, has just been perfect. Like he's just insanely. Insanely uh, hot right now Yeah, Everything with the horse whenever he comes on And with the horse people just absolutely love it um, Yeah he, he's hot And he is definitely on the rise right now We got a backstage Little little setup with uh, Dustin and QT Marshall uh, Brandy and Allie were with them So they're going to be getting a, a tag team Title match next week against Omega and Paige um, Yeah I mean th- This is something that I like They With, with, with AEW2 you talk about Like they Every we seem like we for the most part we, we get a good look at everybody, you know. Everybody seems like they get rotated now, and there's the other show Dark that they have a lot of times too, where we get uh, a lot of matches. But they give they do give TV time and opportunities to a lot of people, and I know some people don't like that. They think that you know there's a lot of folks out there that aren't big stars that are getting opportunity that are getting TV time, but you have to do that. 
with a new company You have to just put these folks on the TV See who's, you know, who really hits it out of the ballpark And maybe Maybe QT Marshall is a is a star in the making. I, I kind of like uh, the stuff that he's got going with Brandy. It's kind of fun. I think there's something with him. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't know what you have until you at least try it out, right? And I think that's something AEW's done well. Like they've built their own kind of stars pretty well. Like it looked like a yeah. guy like Darby Allen. Uh, they built him up really well. I think the biggest kind of uh, example of this is a guy like Sammy Guevara. Like early on, unbelievable. He had that, he had that first match ever against Cody. And I remember everything leaning up to that TV taping. Like, I wasn't a big Sammy Guevara fan at all. And I think now he's one of my favorite things about the show every week. He's just I completely been agree. Incredible, incredible. I thought he was kind of like an annoying type wrestler before. But man, like, performer-wise, in and outside the ring, he's been just incredible. And I think that he's a perfect example of, let's see what we have with these guys before we kind of bring in outside talent and take their spots like we have these young performers we can build our own stars and i think they've done a really good job with that with guys like jungle boy sammy darby and then mjf really absolutely i'm glad you mentioned jungle boy too he, he was kind of in that same sense to me he was just kind of bland but then you you, you start watching him and he's just a great baby face he really yeah. is like he's and you don't see many of them in the in this modern age of wrestling anymore i think th- to me as we continue along through dynamite I think the only knock, and it's not even really a knock. I think there's some talent there, but I think I guess we could say that probably that they're one of their lower parts of their show and their roster is probably the women's division. Yeah, I, it's, I agree. it's probably not as deep or as strong as you know some others. But I, I really like Britt Baker. I love what she's been doing. <laughs> yeah. And um, we had a match. It was Nyla Rose and Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian versus Chris Statlander and uh, Hikaru Shida. Shida is now the new women's champ. And I think the plan was to have Britt Baker be the next champ and maybe take it from Sheeta. And now Britt Baker is injured, but they've done a great job to continue to let Britt cut promos and build her character up while she's hurt. It, it almost looks like Penelope Ford is now kind of getting the push that Britt was going to get. She gets the pin here, and she is probably going to be, you know, getting a title shot sometime soon. Again, another example of. Uh... Changing, you know, changing the course like a guy like Hangman Adam Page was was really kind of boring and kind of bland early on, and then they gave this kind of new gimmick and it worked out. Same with Britt, like she was this babyface kind she'd of. She'd never been performer. a heel in her whole life before this, yeah. And she's just uh, another one who's been, become a star. Like she, again, another person you look forward to watching every single week with these vignettes and just incredible, incredible comedic timing with the Tony Schiavone and just everything about her. And that kind of role model gimmick is is working, and yeah, I actually really enjoyed the tag match. I thought that tag match, me too. Those yeah. performers, uh, again, I, I think they're showing growth, and I think you, they just people who do complain, I totally get it. Like they do need a lot more work. They're a lot of their performers are type are really green, and they're not really outside performers. They're kind of in house projects, and I think um, the more TV time they get, the more in ring work they get. I mean, they've shown a lot of uh, progress and development so far. And I, I thought. That, that yesterday's that match was actually really good I do too, uh, Ford and Statlander I, the, the alien gimmick is a little Like she'll probably drop that at some point But she, yeah. they, they're, they're improving They're getting better, they're getting better I thought the match at the pay-per-view Which was, they had to put together kind of last minute um, mm-hmm. a couple, Was also, was really good When they needed a fill-in for, for Brit. So uh, yeah, no, no knocks I think they're starting to find their footing a little bit too And then you, you throw Britt in the mix With this division, and now you've got these four That were out there, you add her You've got a, a good little top tier 
um, at least that that can you know until maybe you bring another new woman or two in at, at some point. Talk about uh, stars being made. Uh, Darby Allen, man, he he's got that Jeff Hardy kind of CM Punk ish. Yeah. You know, you you combine them, and he's got a really cool little uh, little interaction here with Tony Hawk, <laughs> which was fun. He said he's not medically cleared to wrestle, but Tony Hawk says you don't have to be medically cleared to skate here. So uh, we we see a little fun interaction, and again, something that AEW has done well. They get. The celebrities to to you know cut little promos online on social media. Last week there were, I think Dominique Wilkins was cutting a promo on yeah. Cody Rhodes winning the title. You know, so they're they're doing a good job reaching out, getting some of these stars to come in. We saw everything with Tyson over the last few weeks, and this is very this is perfect for Darby Allen, the Tony Hawk thing. It just it fits his character so great. Yeah, I think I, I think a guy like Darby Allen would only succeed in in a promotion like AEW. Like I. He's one of those guys. If you stick him in WWE, like oh god, like that, it's just not going to work. He's in the cruiserweight division, and oh. and he's not even you know it, like they they don't treat him seriously at all whatsoever. They don't give him any opportunity. This guy's going to be a main eventer in a few years. He really is. He's he's got like he's another one who Cody does a good job of giving these. You could tell the 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 folks that Cody likes too, like with oh, Sammy, sure. like with Jungle Boy, Jungle like Boy. with Darby. Yeah. Just giving them a lot of opportunity To show what they've got And uh, I'm excited for him man I just like you said it's a good point He wouldn't fit in WWE He might be okay in NXT mm-hmm. And then and then when they pulled him up We'd be worried about what Vince is going to do with him <laughs> Immediately So uh, yeah Darby is definitely a, a big positive When I tune in each and every week And then we uh, mentioned the, the Britt Baker She continues to uh to be able to cut vignettes and and cut these promos and and do stuff from uh, the dentist office and and different things, so that's really really fun. And they're doing a great job. And it, it almost I, I don't think she's Austin, but it reminds me of how they were able to keep the build for Stone Cold when he was so hot, even when he had the neck injury after Owen Hart. They had him on on Raw every week. Is he yeah. going to stun someone? Is he going to punch Vince? What's he going to do? And you don't. You don't. It's 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 like the best thing that can possibly happen. You don't lose anything by being out. No, exactly, and especially in this type of setting, like those vignettes are just as good as matches at this point for Britt. Hundred percent. And I think she even created a feud with Big Swole last week already from the from the sidelines, just being a fan. And <laughs> so she's able to really keep that momentum going, even with that, with being injured. So it, it just it, it speaks volumes to how good she is, how much she's improved with her character. And like even in ring before that, the whole bloody mouth thing, like it was just gold. Like she's like right now, they have something really special in her. We have a, a tag match. It was uh, Jake Hager, Santana, and Ortiz from the Inner Circle versus the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. And um, I mean, another just star in the making. He's been for a while. Orange Cassidy, everything about him is different and that's why he stands out that's why people mm-hmm. like him and i was even reading you know some of the stuff from from Meltzer that had said that uh he's like a big draw anytime he's on the tv people don't ratings. tune tune away they like he he equals ratings right now <laughs> yeah, and he uh, he he um we end up getting the 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 match here and orange cassidy gets the win and then uh afterwards there's a beatdown I thought this was really, really good. It's a combination of kind of funny but serious. They get the bag of oranges and they go crazy on Orange Cassidy. No, it was actually pretty brutal. Like I totally get the the funny side with the oranges and everything, mm-hmm. but those oranges are, are heavy as hell. And 
And uh, yeah, he got cracked open. I'm not sure if it was hard way or if it was a, a blade thing or not. But um, yeah, Orange has been a guy during this whole the pandemic, during this kind of empty arena thing that I was a little worried about because he is kind of a gimmick where it's so much fan interaction. Like fans mm-hmm. love watching him. And I do, I did kind of worry about kind of overexposing him in this type of setting. Like he had that match with Pac at the last pay-per-view, which was incredible. Like that match was awesome. And I think so much of it, what made it so great was because fans had little, I mean, if you were watching him on the Indies and stuff like that, you weren't aware of how good he actually is in ring. And uh, it, it, for seeing it every single week in this type of gimmick, I do kind of worry about it getting a bit watered down. But if you're putting him in a feud with Chris Jericho, I think that's that's uh, that's just that's money right there. And I think oh, that's I'm so excited about it. And that's it. Looks like that's <laughs> where they're going now. And, and I'm sure we'll end up getting some sort of a Jericho Cassidy interaction. And I think Cassidy's going to beat him. It's going to be like a you know a, a quick roll up type thing. Uh-huh. It just that'll either keep the feud going or maybe just help elevate Orange Cassidy. He probably gets beat down you know five or six more times through this feud. But I think he's going to get the initial at the end. I think he's going to get get the uh, the leg up. On Jericho and, and at this point Jericho You can tell he, he's going to have a ton of fun With something with something like this and, and Orange Cassidy So uh, I, I'm really Looking forward to this one Orange Cassidy now uh, In a, a feud with the Inner Circle And with Jericho uh, We then got a Sammy G, Sammy Guevara Versus yeah. Colt Cabana And two things about this match We have Colt who's kind of going through the losing streak Gimmick and now Is he going to join the Dark Order It looks like it, maybe and we've got a Sammy who's just on the rise, man. I mean, he is he's like, so good. Yeah, he, everything in the last few weeks in the ring, he's great. From the he, I think in this pandemic era, he might have done the most on these shows by I just agree. the singing of Jericho's song when he's coming to the ring is unbelievable. I think they just did that on accident and they realized how great it was. He would have the signs that he was holding up, which mm-hmm. were hilarious. He. Um, and then and then everything in the last few weeks where you know they ran him down with the golf cart <laughs> and then they ran him down with the horse and they were coming after him again he he is a major star i mean you give me i mean you give me Guevara, mjf jungle boy orange cassidy um like Darby. one or two more you can build an entire you know you could build another promotion with this group of really young up and coming guys yeah like Right there, that list, and it's it's a really short list, right? But they've actually done well with every single one mm-hmm. of those guys. Yeah, and they each have something going. They each are, I mean, again, we're only is the first, not even their first year of the promotion. They've already kind of had all these star, not stars, but just these performers who are on the way to being stars because they've developed them so well. They've given them good characters. They've given them good feuds. Like every match that they're in does feel important in, in some way in terms of developing their. Their future, like that match with Jungle Boy and MJF at the last pay per view, it, it felt like the start of a decade. A 10 year, it did. Yeah. It's like we're going to see these guys in the main event five years from now and on TNT, like for years to come. And because they killed it, they were given a chance on the pay per view with kind of little to no builds, really, that match. And they just were one of the best matches on that card. And yeah, you're like, here you go. You got this insanely good heel, insanely good baby face. That both feel natural. Nothing really feels forced with those two in terms of uh, in terms of their standing with the fans. And yeah, like I I can speak volumes to how good AEW's done with their with their younger talent. To close out, or after this, uh, Sammy cuts a cuts a promo, and uh, and then Matt Hardy comes out. 
So it looks like they're going to have a maybe a little feud or some kind of a, a storyline with the two because Matt Hardy tells Sammy, you know, I like you. I think you got a ton of talent. You got to stay away from Chris Jericho. So um, that's going to be one of the storylines between them. As uh, Matt is getting an opportunity to do what he wanted to, he gets to play these basically like the faces of Foley. You know, yeah, he gets to go much, through yeah. all of his different characters and the Matt facts and everything. And <laughs> this is, I think, th- this, I like this use of Matt Hardy here. It feels like they do a good job too of you really using their veterans to help get this group of these young guys over, like we've talked about. Yeah, I, I can't really pinpoint a, a match or, or a, a beat down or anything where it felt like they were kind of squashing the younger talent yeah. or burying them or anything. And uh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I never really thought of that. You you bring in a guy like Hardy. And really, he's only elevated Sammy Guevara since he's been there. The whole golf cart thing, like, that just rose Sammy's star even higher. And their matches beforehand and the whole, uh, that stadium brawl, everything Matt Hardy's kind of done with the inner circle has kind of risen them up, actually. And a guy like Sammy G specifically. So, yeah, that's a good point. Like, they're, it never feels like a, a Triple H-type situation or, or a WWE situation where those younger talent are kind of feel like, they don't have a shot or, or they're kind of their careers are getting kind of like outclassed by everyone else. It feels like they're on the uh, the verge of becoming stars themselves because of having matches against these guys. We then got a little interaction outside the building, the main man, John Moxley um, and Brian cage. They're going to have a, a title match at Firefest. They, uh, they have a, a, a little scuffle outside cage hits a spine buster on the hood of the car um, Taz stops him And then they, they power slam Moxley Into the back windshield of the car And they walk off as uh, as Moxley is hurt I mean from a pure Physical Athletic standpoint There are so few people Like Brian Cage Because mm-hmm. he's not like He's not six foot five. He's not the tallest guy in the world either. He's just built like a brick and he is so athletic. I've had the privilege of actually announcing some of his matches, ring announcing oh, wow. at, at, at you know small indie events where there were yeah. fifty people there. And the guy is just unbelievable. And he'll he'll take chances in the ring. He'll try to fly if he can. This is another thing that they've done real really well, right? They bring in a new they bring in somebody new, Cage, and they immediately make you feel like he's a star. They treat him important, sure. yep. so we think he's important. Exactly. First match, he wins that that uh ladder match right there to get the shot against uh Moxley. Same with Brody Lee. Um they bring those guys in. They're not really there just as enhancement talent. They're there to be stars, they're there to kinda add credibility to the roster and Another thing with AEW, like you mentioned, Brian Cage is his size. Like that was one of their cr- criticisms early with AEW was they're too small. Like I remember early on, they had a guy like Billy Gunn in a Royal Rumble, and he just looked like he was a million <laughs> times bigger than everyone else yeah. in the ring. But since then, you get Lance Archer, who again another huge guy, but who's crazy athletic. You get Brody Lee, who I've yep. always been a fan of. Again, fan. a guy who could just work. Like he's big, but he can work. Uh, Brian Cage is just a freak. Like, like you said, like that guy is crazy athletic, just built like like a tank, and they've beefed up their roster for sure. So they listen to criticism, and when you know fans say they need help in certain areas, they they listen. It sounds like the main event was the TNT Championship, the AW TNT Championship, which Cody has, and there are going to be a lot of of matches like this with where Cody is. Um, 
He's giving you know opportunities to people who probably wouldn't get uh, you know main event title matches in many different spots. This was Mark Queen here or Mark Hen who um, who was getting the the singles match. We normally know uh, know this one as a part of the tag team, and so th- I mean we get to see him. Going, you know, 15 minutes and showing us a side uh, that we don't normally get to see when he's in the tag yeah. team. I don't think many people thought Cody was going to lose this match. We probably don't think he he's going to lose a match for you know a month or so. But that's kind of what this storyline is. I think we're gonna. The, I think when he loses, it might be to somebody kind of random, like how you know John Cena used to do this with the U.S. Open Challenge, and I think Daniel Bryan's teasing maybe doing this if he wins the Intercontinental Championship too. Being being. Something that every week you know what you're going to get on AEW, you're going to get like a 10 to 15 minute Cody Rhodes match for the TV title. I like knowing that. So do I. Like, I think that Cena thing, like you mentioned, that open US challenge thing was one of my favorite parts of that kind of era. I loved it. And I remember. Uh, looking forward to like, oh, who's who's it going to be? And there was the Sami Zayn debut. Sami is the one that I love. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. And then I remember he had a really good um, uh, match against Zack Ryder. Like, I just. Having guys on the roster who don't usually get that spotlight, but we know can work, um, I love it. And I think Cody's saying he wants to be that kind of workhorse champion who every week kind of defends that belt against random people. You don't know who's going to be. And I kind of like having, um, like going up against a guy who's usually a tag team, like a private party uh, member, and letting him see what he could be as a singles guy, and just kind of seeing again what you have in your roster. Like you, you, like Jungle Boy showed he can hang in a main event type match on Dynamite, and he's only what like early twenties. So again, you're giving spotlight to guys, and I think more than anything, like you said, we don't expect Cody to lose these matches, but what it, it does accomplish, it does give a shine to these younger guys and to this other type of talent. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this kind of knowing what's going to be on every week, and I think that's again they do that fantastically before the main event every week. They they run down next week's card, so you know what's going to be on the card. WWE used to it, that's so easy to do. They used it's, to do that, and they, and the reason why they don't, as we hear, is because Vince changes so many things on the fly. That's, that's like, exactly why. Yeah. Like leading up, but it, you know how how nice it would be, like with it, it, in WWE right now with the the two tag titles, like the tag titles they have for the women. They've got tag titles on both shows. They've got you know two world championships. They've got there should never be a show. That doesn't either have a title match or a number one contenders match or some something where there are some matches that are worth it. When I watched AEW, it feels like it, you said it at the beginning. Everything that happens feels like it matters. It matters. Mm-hmm. It, it it really does. And you know, Cody gets the win here, and and then afterwards, Jake Hager attacks Cody, and that that could be a fun match there too. I think a lot of people. Um, th- this is a good role for Hager, being this. Like enforcer it in the inner inner circle, he doesn't really have to cut any long promos. When he does, sometimes it's kind of goofy, and he's he's kind of playing, you know, uh, you know, playing jokes or he's being silly. But th- this, he feels like he's been handled and treated better here than he was e- ever treated in WWF too. Hager, he feels like he's a big deal. They hide they hide their roster's weaknesses really well. Just I'll like Heyman and- used to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I there's influence here. I think with ECW, WCW, New Japan, like old old like territory wrestling. Like you can see the influences all over this product. Whereas WWE is very single minded. Like the the difference between just the product, the presentation. Like when's the last time there was a DQ finish in AEW? 
like where you know like it was like every match either ends with a pinfall or a submission it's rarely very rare that the matches just don't matter or, or they get counted out or just some random kind of bs whereas whereas wwe it doesn't really matter who wins or loses like it doesn't like that's not going to proceed the storyline any further whereas AEW, like i again it's just wrestling at the end of the day but these wins and losses do type kind of matter in terms of getting title chances and stuff like that and i think that's what i enjoy so much about the product is it kind of it doesn't waste your time it doesn't like slap I, you in the face for being exactly. a fan and make you feel stupid or make you think it's like they they don't how many times over the last few years in in, in wwe would there be this great storyline starting out and we'd be like oh this is kind of cool where is this going and then the next week it's completely dropped we don't even hear anything more about it. It's they treat their fans like like they're like they're adults in AEW. They mm-hmm. they and they treat them like they're like they're people. And they're not stupid. And I just every every Wednesday when I watch, I absolutely love it. It's become my favorite show now to watch. Um, and and even on Wednesday, if you're you know an NXT fan, you get really good wrestling on both of those shows. It, yeah, it's really do. good. And and I watch all the WWF stuff still too. And it just. It's it's a lot different. There's there's not it's not all bad. There's plenty of good to pick out, but there's so much of it that there ends up being so much bad. Um, you know, through three hours of Monday Night Raw and then another couple hours on SmackDown, and then you have another couple on uh, on NXT. So they've got so much time to fill. They can't help but not have everything be the most important. And that's kind of what what we want in wrestling. We want it to feel important all the time. Yeah, that's it. Like you hit it right there. Like. And WWE, I mean, just look at that roster. It is stacked. Like, it's the most impressive roster I think they've had in forever. In any I mean, on Friday, promotion. there's going to be Daniel Bryan versus AJ, AJ Styles for the IC title. You know what That's I mean? ridiculous. Like, how many years would we have been begging for a match like that in WWF? Yeah. I, I mean, Sami Zayn, Nakamura, Cesaro. You could go down the list of the guys they have on that roster, male and female. Just in NXT as well. Like, Adam Cole would be the top, top guy in AEW if he was yeah. on AEW. Just again, it's just a different product, and I'm just happy there's alternatives. And I think that's something AEW has kind of said since the beginning. We just want to be that alternative for fans who kind of become jaded to the WWE style and the way they treat their fans and their buildups and all that stuff. And I think so far they've delivered. Like it yeah, never it, feels so. It, it never feels like they borrow from WWE. It feels different. That's that's another key point. You can't try to be WWE. And just not have the same amount of money and the same machine that they have and everything behind them. If you're going to come and try to beat WWE or compete with them or just be a wrestling company, you have to have a different approach. I always applauded uh, like Lucha Underground for trying to be different. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, I loved it. They didn't have the backing or the money and they didn't have the kind of um, exposure on, on TV networks and stuff. But that that's the kind of approach. AEW's approach in, hey, we're going to try to be a little bit different. We're going to be a little more serious. These wins are going to matter. They're going to count a little bit. All of the – it seems like – like Cody and the Bucks and Kenny have been like making a list for years of like all the things that would bother them, you know, about WWE. Yeah. And they've they're doing the opposite in this company, which is great. It's like do do something a little opposite. You're gonna get a niche fan base. The people love fans are very loyal to this company and this group. I mean, the fans out there, they love AEW. This this is not something that that is you you can you could fake. They they have mm-hmm. this this unbelievable connection, I think, with the with the people out there. So I'm really happy too, Alex. This does feel like a golden era and a goal, another golden age of wrestling. And we get we get New Japan wrestling coming back next week as well with the big tournament. So, that tournament oh I God. saw 
uh, what do we get? Abushi versus Zack Saber Jr. in the, in the first, first round. round. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one yeah, thing that jumped off the page to me. So uh, we're definitely I mean, spoiled for sure. And uh, like, like just to to end things there, like you mentioned, yeah, the, you can't beat WWE. Like it's just the corp. It's a corporation. You can't beat them. But the only way to do it is to be be different. And I think that's if you look at all the promotions who've kind of stood in the way of WWE in the past, like like ECW, you know. The way they were successful is by being hardcore, where other promotions were being hardcore. And WCW is having this kind of bringing in this international talent from Mexico and from mm-hmm. Japan and just having this incredible cruiserweight division that was really revolutionary. Like we see that in AEW today. And even like TNA with their X division when they were first getting started, that was incredible wrestling with AJ Styles and all those yes. guys. And the reason they failed was they tried they to be WWE. These, they again, they brought in Hogan, brought in Ric Flair, brought in all those guys. And as long as AEW learns from those past promotions mistakes and borrow what was successful, like they, I think they have been, I think they're okay. And again, being on TNT is a huge, huge win for them. You'll never be able to do out WWE the WWE. You're never going to be able to do their thing better than them than, than they do it. So take a different approach, like AEW has done. I love it. Um, you know, as wrestling fans, we've been really pleased. I I see a lot of your tweets on you know on Wednesdays when you're when you're watching along, and a lot of times I'm you know I'm, I'm echoing many of your sentiments too. So uh, it's it's just fun. We have opportunities. We have options now. We don't just have to be forced on Monday to tune in, and, and that's the only wrestling we have, as you mentioned, uh, New Japan, and you know. Even things that I liked that I thought were kind of cool this year too. The NWA, you know, they had that hour. The hour I loved it too. Hour on uh, on YouTube. YouTube. It was just an hour show. It was like an old school feel. That's the kind of different. That was never something you would see on WWE. That was different. That worked. Um, loved it, and I really appreciate you uh, spending some of your time uh, talking wrestling. So maybe in a few weeks when they do uh, after Fighter Fest, we'll bring you back on and we can recap that show and we can uh, talk a little bit more as we're getting closer to the NBA. Oh man, I would love it. I would love to come back and talk wrestling, Lakers, whatever with you, man. I really appreciate you having me back on. Alex, uh, let's give some of your plugs out there again to anyone following you. So, where can we find you? Social media. Let us know about the newsletter. Um, work-wise, um, you, what do you got going on right now? I know it's been a, a, just a brutal time for a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of writers out there. We saw the Athletic had a, a unfortunately a big. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, they had to cut a, a lot of jobs uh, the other day, and I know you've done a lot of stuff for different places, Bleacher Report, um, you know, Silver Screen and Roll with the Lakers. You do a great job. So if anyone out there is listening and they need uh, someone to cover some basketball, someone to cover some wrestling or or whatever, um, uh, what, what kind of stuff do you have going on? Where can we find you? Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Uh, so Twitter, uh, Alex M. Regla at Twitter. You can find my tweets there. Uh, the Throwdowns, the newsletter, Substack, it's free. Comes out every week. I try to do every week. Lakers, wrestling, all that stuff. And yeah, I'm basically a free agent like a lot of these wrestlers right now that got released. Uh, So yeah, if you need any type of writing on any of those things, uh, hit me up on Twitter for sure. Alex Regla, very good friend of the show. We appreciate Alex talking some basketball and some wrestling with us. Alex, thank you, buddy. You have a great weekend. Thank you, man. Thanks again. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back on That's What She Said. Backlash 2020 is coming up this weekend, the next installment of a WWE pay-per-view, and Darren Zocali is going to help me preview this show. We're going to go through uh, the card, which on paper, Darren, it's not like a, a stacked 
or it's not like a big card. I think they have seven matches listed. We'd imagine they add maybe one or two. Um, and just kind of before we get into it, they do. We're recording this Thursday night. On Friday night on SmackDown, there is supposed to be an AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental Championship match. I wouldn't be shocked if that either doesn't have a clean finish and ends up having to go on the pay per view, or maybe we get a rematch, or I the pay per view would be much better served having both of those guys on it. Let's say that. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of me thinks that you know McMahon, obviously with the ratings and 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 things like that, he's trying to get some eyes on the uh, mm-hmm. on the show on Monday and Friday. So I get why they're doing that but at the same time you can get the eyes on the friday show and you could write the story and have a finish so that you bring the eyes back on sunday which is probably what they're going to do so let's go through uh this card um for the united states championship match we're going to get apollo cruz versus andrade andrade won a a three-way on monday night to become the number one contender and they're getting behind Apollo Crews now. This is some, a guy who's really athletic. He's kind of had a, a tough time connecting with the audience. He can really go. This feels like the best um, push that he's been given. And I would, I hope they don't take the title right off him yet and, and kind of let him go for a little while with it. Because the guy can go in the ring. I, I like seeing Crews out there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, he's a good worker. It's probably a good time for him because he doesn't normally get too hot with the crowd and with their mm-hmm. being- being there, no crowd there, that it's probably a good time to try to get him a push. Maybe when the crowd comes back, they'll see if he gets a bit of a warmer response. Um, I don't think they're going to take the belt off him just yet. Uh, I like Andrade a great deal. He's also a good worker, although, <clears throat> my goodness, I've seen more than my fill of Selena Vega on Monday night because yeah. that's basically become the you know Selena Vega variety hour now. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Cruz probably retains here. Um, you know, they'll probably – Find a way to keep that going between him and the faction with with Theory and uh, and Garza and all that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, not Theory. Theory's over in uh, Rollins' game. I can't keep track. These guys bounce around so much. Yeah, he just he just yeah. got he just left that. Yeah, just uh, like yeah. just the last week or so. But, yeah, um, yeah. This this feels like a good like give give him a win over Andrade. Give him a win yeah. over the uh, the former U.S. champ. And you know a nice a nice victory for Apollo to move forward. I don't know if he's going to have something with Kevin Owens or if that was just maybe a one off. But I wouldn't mind seeing those two guys go at it. Maybe Owens can help elevate him a little bit there. Um, the tag team championship, the women's tag team titles are going to be defended in a three way. It's going to be Bailey and Sasha Banks versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus the Iconics. Your tag team champions right now are Bailey and Sasha. They recently won that. So I believe uh, by doing so, Bailey became the first ever woman to have two WWE titles at the same time. She's the the SmackDown Women's Champ, and she's the tag champ right here. I don't know if this is the the spot for a uh, you know a switch. We've just been all waiting for the Bailey Sasha turn. I'm sure it's going to eventually happen where you know Sasha turns on Bailey and they you know they feud over the title. I don't know if this is too soon for it or not, but it'll be coming at some point. Yeah, I mean that's obviously where you know where this is heading. I, I mean, you know, they only they only kept those two belts on Becky for so long. I don't think they're going to keep both belt both belts on uh, on Bailey for that long. But yeah, we know the Bailey and Sasha blow up is coming. Um, if they get a live crowd for SummerSlam, I could see it happening. If not, they'll probably push it off down the road until they get to that point as far as they can. Um, I don't necessarily believe the belts are coming right off them. It wouldn't shock me if the Iconics won this, I yeah. guess, based on what they're doing. And, and maybe they don't even get pinned. Or, you know, like maybe they're, it's like the 
they could lose it to like Alexa and Nikki get pinned, Iconics win, right. and you have something where like it just kind of begins the, the Bailey Sasha stuff. Maybe there's like a mix right. up or there's something with them. Yeah. Yeah. Something like like I could see, you know, if Bailey hits a finisher on Nikki Cross and, you know, Peyton Royce comes in and throws Bailey off and gets the pin and Sasha's pissed at Bailey for allowing that to happen, you know. And then the whole thing is sure, you have your belt. You don't care about the belt we have together. You know, some something like that. I could see that happening. Um, does it happen now? It, it seems a little quick, but maybe that's how they want to go about it. So uh, my, my thinking is Bailey and Sasha retained for now, but I would not be shocked if the Iconics did win. I think so, too. I think it's still Bailey and Sasha for a little while longer. Um, up next, it's uh, Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus, and Jeff Hardy's been, um, you know, getting his, um, I guess, redemption story. They they had a real, you know, kind of crazy angle a couple weeks ago where Sheamus basically like set up uh, Jeff so it looked like he was drinking and it looked like he got into a car accident. I mean, this was some real stuff here. The way the show opened. Um, it was a little bit different. I didn't mind the angle because you got Jeff to come back at the end of the show and get a little bit of his comeuppance. And this should be a pretty good match, I think. With Jeff, they keep kind of doing this like one more run. That's fine, but kind of get behind him. Let him get maybe a run into even into the, like a main event shot, and then that's fine with him. But give him give him one little last run. I feel like this is probably the spot for Jeff to go over. I, I agree with you. I, I think it would defeat the purpose if he doesn't. Um... You know, we talked about art imitating life. That's certainly what's happening with this Jeff Hardy storyline. Um, it can be a little bit uncomfortable knowing, you know, Jeff's past and what he's dealt with. But, um, you know, I think if Jeff goes over here and gets his comeuppance, as you said, and shows that he's on a, you know, quote, straight and even path in terms of the character, you know, I think it could all come together. It wouldn't make much sense for Sheamus to go over here. Um, you know, I think they can have Jeff here win and then Sheamus goes a separate way and you could start to, you know, build him up moving forward. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Give him one more run, you know, maybe put him in an IC title picture. Uh, you know, maybe he can get to a main event uh, at some point in the near future. Um, but you know, it is kind of weird to have Jeff in one spot again and Matt in the other, Yeah, but you know, yeah. certainly we've had that before. So I guess it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, but I expect Jeff to go over here. We get Oscar versus Nia Jax. I mean, this could be fun. These two, they've kind of been uh, feuding for a little while since before the Money in the Bank. Oscar won the Money in the Bank, and then that ended up being the the women's championship because we know Becky um, uh, relinquished the title because she is now pregnant. So Oscar, Nia Jax, Nia, you know, she's not always the the best in the ring and not always the most safe, but against yeah. the right opponent, like she had a great match with Ronda, and she's had some some good matches too in NXT, and I think one of them was with Asuka. So these two do know each other, and and they have a little experience to call back on. They do, um, you know. That is my concern. Nia does have a little bit of a track record where she's hurt people. Um, you know, Becky obviously yeah. being one uh, recently at a house show. Um, I think uh, Kyrie too, right? She Kyrie, yeah, she like yeah. tossed Kyrie around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. You know, that, that is a bit of an issue here. Uh, obviously, I expect Oscar to win. They're not going to take the belt off her right away. But, um, you know, it, yeah, I mean, Oscar's kind of gone from crazy lunatic heel spinning in your face to morphing back into the Oscar that everybody seems to, you know, like, even though she's still got the green stuff on her face. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know from here where they're going to go with Oscar. I don't know necessarily who she's going to feud with. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, they could certainly have a good match. They've done good work together before, but 
Uh, yeah, I fully expect. I would be shocked if Oscar didn't win. Up next, um, see, I just I'm not a fan, and I love the Miz. I love Morrison. I like they're they're great together. I just I'm never a fan of title matches that are like this. When are the Miz and Morrison going to beat Braun Strowman for the title? Like you know, I just think everybody knows that this is probably not happening, and they've had some some okay fun build to this, but it doesn't do really it doesn't do anything for Braun to beat the two of them. Even it just it just doesn't. I don't really think this is going to do a whole lot for either. It could be fun. It's just I think a placeholder they needed because they probably were waiting another month before they go back to Braun Strowman against the Fiend. So I just this is just something that I I, I would have much preferred a different. I mean, give me Sheamus versus Braun Strowman. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that that would have been I'd have been better with that and and someone that Braun can beat in 5 minutes or 6 minutes and go over. Yeah, I they just they just don't have anything for Braun right now and it shows. Um and unfortunately, to be honest with you, that's been a rather common theme with him for a while. Yeah. Uh, you think yeah, of like this guy best- was over like 2 years ago, he was oh. so hot. He was so over the crowd was oh every time he came out they wanted yeah. to see what feat of strength he was going to do what he was going to push over and they yeah. just they waited and they didn't even want to put the title on him here they were forced to because Roman not being around so yeah. it's you could just tell that Vince is is cooled on him quite a bit because they don't really have big plans they don't and I mean you know Strowman his his best work in my opinion was that stretch that he had with Roman. No, that was great, fun stuff. great stuff. That was great stuff that they did together. They played off well together. You could tell, like we talked about in a couple other shows, like people having fun. They number one, they really they like each other a great deal in real life, and it shows, you know, them working together. But you know, now they don't have anything for them. And you know, you know, does the winner of Edge and Orton get elevated to a main event status, depending on what happens with Wyatt slash Fiend? Maybe I I don't know. Um, but yeah, this is just kind of like. They have to come up with something fun to happen in the match to make this worthwhile. I don't know what that is. You know, is he going to power slam both of them at the same time? I, I don't know. Um, but, it, yeah, it's just a product that they don't have anything for him. And they don't have any plans. And he's really just a placeholder right now until they figure out what the hell they're going to do with this belt. Yeah, and I think when when Roman's ready to go, whenever that may be, if he's got the title, you just got a built-in feud. Roman can come right back and say, you know, that was supposed to be my shot at WrestleMania, this and that, and we've got to be... So that that's fine. I look forward to, to that point. And, and even the stuff with The Fiend was good. And they've got to, you know, the match part of it was pretty good until they did the, um, you know, they, yeah. Braun was kind of playing head games uh, uh, with him afterwards. It wasn't bad. So th- those two, like Braun Fiend, Braun Roman, I'm fine with. It's just... They obviously seem like they want to wait a little bit Before they get back there um, And this is just, I think as fans we can kind of feel That this is just a placeholder You know um, yep. Up next it's Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley They've done a damn good job with Drew I think even with the pandemic stuff He hasn't really suffered a whole ton He seems like he's still pretty over He's not like a corny Baby face he, He's like a good one he, he, To me this feels like one of the better jobs they've done with a baby face in a while with Drew all the way back from the Rumble It's been a really good you know six months For him and I gotta say The last three weeks of Bobby Lashley Has been the best build or the Best version of Bobby Lashley that I can remember in A long long time I think they've Done a good job with both of these two And I'm I'm interested in watching this match And I'm kind of curious like I don't think Drew's gonna lose here but they're They've built Bobby well enough That they've at least put a little doubt in my mind To make me think 
yeah, maybe Bobby could win this. Yeah, I mean, do they have designs on Lashley Lesnar at SummerSlam? Is that the rumor? Yeah, maybe. And if, if that is, but yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. That's a match that they've always liked, you know, and they've always kind of had it like earmarked in the back. I just yeah. don't know if the crowd would be that that into that match, really. I agree with you. If there that. is a crowd, yeah. you know, maybe they do that because there is no crowd. Who knows? You know, do they do they take the belt off of Drew after just two months? I mean, I I don't necessarily know that they're going to do that. Um, you know, what do they have for Drew after this? I I don't. And I mean, I know he's got the feud with Andrade's crew, but you know, that's kind of been going on for a while now, and Andrade's in a U.S. program right now. So, you know, I'm not really sure where Drew goes from here. I mean, I'm sure they could this just. Is, this has got to be the starting point of a feud for a couple months, right? Like maybe MVP right. gets involved, you know, or something, and then they have an like you know a no DQ down the line or a match where MVP like something with MVP or there's the, the weird stuff with MVP and Lana. Maybe Lana. I just I feel like this is the starting point over for a, maybe a couple month feud because you're right. It doesn't. I think they were they were earmarking gender as someone to to be a contender, yeah. uh, and he got hurt. So yeah. now he he's out of the picture too. So maybe it's okay. Let's go with McIntyre and Lashley for a couple months, and I'd be fine with that. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I, I like what they've done the past few months. I think it's the best work that Lashley's done uh, in quite some time. And um, yeah, I, I I think they could certainly have a good match. It'll be a heavy hitting, you know, power versus power match. Which you know, I, I, with the right guys, those are fun. And uh, if the feud builds for a couple months, I'm fine with that. I I mean. I think that's probably where we're heading. Drew probably retains here, but you know, they they if they do build this feud, there are some interesting things that they could do in the future with them. And then the the, the final match, we're not sure if it'll be the main event. I mean, the way they're they're building it and talking it about it, be. I'm, I'm sure it better be. I, this is just, I feel so bad for these guys with what they've done with 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 this match, and it's like the greatest wrestling match ever between Edge and Randy Orton. Okay, few things. Number one. Both of these guys are really good workers, right? Really good workers. I think they they might be uh, people's personal favorites, but if you were making a list of like the five best workers, they're probably not on it, which is I so ironic because in the build up to this, they're having old Hall of Famers cutting these promos on the match yeah. and they've got Ric Flair, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels who might be three of the best workers ever. Cutting promos on these two guys And if this is going to be the best greatest wrestling match ever And I think everybody Knows or is like is treating this like a rib Like an inside joke I almost thought And I I, I heard they, they taped the match already I don't know any results or anything But I heard it was, yeah. it was supposed to be pretty good um, I thought that they were setting this up To have it be like Edge comes in and hits two spears In a 10 second squash and then ends it But uh-huh. it, it feels like they're really Trying to go for a good wrestling match It's just Why do they do this stuff Before the match When they crown matches like this It never works out well No never I, I totally agree with you on that um, Yeah I mean Look I, I think Randy Orton Is the kind of guy Where he, I think he's got a switch And if you've watched him long enough You can tell when the switch is on And when the switch is off with him. Uh, When the switch is on He's really, really good. Um, not just from his, you know, his in-ring work, but the the character and the things that he does 
is so is so much fun at times. It feels very uh, real. It feels very him. You know, it's like yeah. Austin, it's Austin like in that he, he this is who he is when he when he gets that you know that like like you said he flips that switch he he raises the intensity level. Yes, quite a bit. And, and and I mean I've seen interviews with him where he says you know he has calmed down a bit as he's gotten older, but the Randy Orton character is a lot like Randy Orton was when he was 25 years old or 23 years old, mm-hmm. where he would fly off a handle and do wild shit. Um, and I think that's really kept his character a lot of fun. Look, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that he has the most over finisher in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, either. yeah, yeah. You know, that, um, but he's up there. When he's on, he's up there, and, and Edge is Edge is good too. But I think pound for pound, you know, I I think Orton is his best is, is at a, is at a slightly higher level than Edge, and I love that. yeah, yeah, and I love Edge. Um, look, these two have done great work together throughout their career. We've seen it in the past. Um, you know, the parts of the match at Mania were good. Obviously, it was way too long. Um, I'm looking forward to it just being a wrestling match. I'm looking forward to being 15 to 18 minutes long, and hopefully mm-hmm. that's well. Um, and hopefully it's good. Um, I, I imagine if, if you're building it as the greatest wrestling match of all time, and you're taping it pre yeah. before, where you have the option to edit and cut out yeah. and redo it if you want, like so, that that makes it even worse. I feel like we we're going to expect even a little bit more from it because we know that now too. You yeah. know, uh, and it and it better be your main event after doing all of that. It would be really dumb if it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially when one of the title matches is Strowman versus Miz and Morrison. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this for sure feels like the match that the show has been built around. Yes. I I, I mean, if, if I were booking this, honestly, um, I might even make McIntyre and Lashley the first match. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, and, and, and I might even make Braun and the Miz match the cool down before the main event to be honest with you because yeah. that's gotta be some kind of like a joke goofy you know, something you know yeah. some yeah. funny ending where braun like you said he does yeah. a slam with the two of them or he, he stacks them up on something but the, the one thing i don't i i don't know who's gonna win this match because me neither no that's a good point yeah i i don't know if this is it i don't know if there's still gonna be another if there's going to be another blow-off, like if there's going to be a third match, I, I want to sell that, or something, yeah. Yeah, I would say that Orton probably wins this. If this is it, maybe Edge wins it and he goes on to a different program. But at this point, I, I don't know which direction they're going in. So uh, I like the fact that going into this match, I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other who's going to come out on top. Yeah, I agree. Um it, it really could go either way. Like you said, I think you, you explained the reasons why. If Edge wins, it's probably going to you know, ignite him maybe to a title a title opportunity. I think it, it probably should, um, and that would probably get some interest in the title from some of the folks out there. They'd like to see Edge maybe get another run at it. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it, even like I'm seeing it in my head, which would be kind of fun. Something with Edge and Jeff Hardy. You know, even though they're both baby faces, maybe they don't, and they're on opposite sides. But man, I would love that with like Jeff getting another another run here. But um, I agree, it's fun when there's a match that we're interested. I'm intrigued in this because. I was so disappointed in their mania match And it wasn't like it was bad It was just dragged, it was long It was way longer than it needed to be It was kind of slow um, So I, I think they both They're not stupid 
They were on social media They saw that They heard I'm sure from a lot of the people too They're both going to probably have a little chip on their shoulder To make this a really good match So I'm, I'm definitely interested in it um, Just I just wish they didn't have to do this damn greatest wrestling match ever, you know, thing. It just, you could see Shawn Michaels when he was doing his little video, he was laughing at it, you know, so much. He's like, ha ha, greatest wrestling match ever here. No pressure, guys, you know, like. Good luck, you know. I've had, I've had ladder match classics and I've fought Bret Hart 17 times, but yeah, this would be the best. Ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the, the three guys you talk to are like rolling their eyes, going like, "I'm a better worker than both of these guys." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, um, yeah. n- nonetheless, I think there are uh, there are a couple matches that have some intrigue in them. And the thing about these shows now, you know, during the kind of the pandemic era, they're not the shows that drag anymore. These have been like two and a half hour, like three hour, pretty tight shows. So at yeah. least it doesn't feel like. If if it's like a long night and a waste of a bunch of stuff, it's like they're they're pretty decent in ring work still. They're quick and they're they're not like it doesn't feel like you wasted your whole day if it's a bad show. Yeah, if this thing stays seven matches, um, I mean maybe they had an IC match. You know, this shouldn't be more than two and a half hours. And I nope. think, um, you know, I think that they could do that. But you know, not everything, not everything has to be WrestleMania. And hopefully WWE continues to. You know, grasp that concept. Speaking of WrestleMania, you know, some exciting news. Um, I was supposed to be in Tampa this year, as you know. So after talking to uh, Amanda, my wife, we have decided that we are going to come out to California for next year. Awesome. I look okay. We're going to have to make sure we uh, we at least yep. have a, a night where we go out to dinner with uh, the ladies. Yep. And, uh, and, and that'll be a lot of fun. I look forward to that because, yeah, there's a lot of people that I've talked to um, on social media and stuff, but I've never... Met or met in person, but I actually did get to come hang out with you uh, at the Meadowlands um, yeah. one time, which was a lot of fun. And you took me up top, and we we sat there. I had a drink. I was uh, I was covering the races at Monmouth for a few days, so it, it'd be a blast, man. I look forward to that. Let's uh let's let's mark it down on the calendars far off that we'll have to we'll have to get together for that for sure. And I'm gonna try to go myself. I'm gonna plan yeah. on going too, uh, especially it being right here. I just don't have to worry about. Extra money for travel or hotels right. or any of that stuff. It just makes makes a whole lot of sense to, to go with a couple of my friends. So awesome, yeah. man! Great news. I look forward to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt bad, you know, because the kids were so excited for it this year. And look, God willing, that show happens the way it's supposed to happen. Because you know, look, I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, I know it's ten months out, but you know, the idea of having eighty thousand people in a stadium right now still feels like a decade it, away. It does. You know? Yeah, it does. It feels. It does. But. I mean, the plan is, as long as that show's happening, we're going to come out there. We're going to go there. We're going to go to San Diego. We're going to bring the kids. We're going to have a little fun. So uh, I'll definitely keep you posted. I'm looking forward to heading back out to the coast. Awesome stuff. DZ, thank you for helping me out with this preview. The folks are going to hear your voice again a little bit uh, and just after this because we go through Halloween Havoc 1998. We spent a ton of time on that. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, yeah. and then um, next week we'll be talking uh, about uh, for for those of you who are wrestling fans, our old wrestling rewatch for next week is going to be the Montreal Screwjob Survivor Series 1997. So we'll have a, a lot of fun the next week watching that and uh, going through all the old stories and rumors and being able to talk about that next week. Absolutely, I'm, I can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. One of the, obviously the biggest stories in, in wrestling history and a story that really changed the face of wrestling over the next twenty to twenty five years. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. My Thursday nights are infinitely better since this started, so I appreciate it. DZ, it's uh, been about three hours now with you and I chatting. Uh, go have a drink. Go uh, go get some rest. Thank you, buddy, and have a great weekend. All right, man. Enjoy. Talk to you soon.
Darren Zocali there. Don't go anywhere, folks. We got plenty more wrestling to discuss on That's What G Said. For the first time, our old wrestling rewatch took us to WCW. And we were at one of the more uh, infamous events in history. It was the match that was uh, being billed as the uh, the rematch of the decade. Uh, they they used many many different ways to describe the Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior rematch at 1998 Halloween Havoc, but they didn't use the actual uh, word of what it really was: garbage. Uh, Andrew Champagne, this was your selection Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, uh, Darren Zocali Joining me like they do each and every week I will say um, It was I actually had a fun watching this show It's basically because I knew what was coming In some of the spots and I knew some of the bad spots There are some Three or four really good matches On this show, but there are A couple just Abysmal matches And when you look on paper you're talking about a show, Andrew. The final four matches of this show. Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash. So we got Diesel versus Razor Ramon. Bret Hart versus Sting. A dream match that people had been, you know, two two faces of their previous companies. You know, Sting was the WCW guy forever. D- Bret was a WWF guy. We got Hogan Warrior and then Goldberg DDP. Yet the back half of the show was the crappiest part. <laughs> when I yeah. get to this show. I have to tell you, yes, part of it was waiting for Darren to go freaking crazy, as he has already promised us off air that he will. But there are some really good parts to this show. And as I mentioned last week, this is everything WCW was. You have legitimate high points. You have Goldberg at the peak of his powers in what is arguably the best match he has ever had in some people's eyes by leaps and bounds. You've got the Jericho Raven match to kick things off. You've got Rick Steiner with a good babyface moment. You have the cruiserweight division getting a couple of decent matches in there. But you also have the horrible parts of Hogan Warrior, Hall and Nash, the storylines that went into both of those matches, which we'll get into. This was everything that encapsulated WCW down to an error in communication where, depending on who you believe, Anywhere from 15 to 30% of the people that bought the pay-per-view didn't get to see the main event because nobody called a certain pay-per-view provider to say, hey, we're running a little bit long and we need some extra time. This is everything WCW ever was. And if somebody wanted a history of WCW in three hours and 15 minutes, I point him to this show. A microcosm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, for my money... It's hard for me to say what the worst pay-per-view is in WCW history. I don't know if I could make this one worse than Halloween Havoc 95 with the, uh, the Yeti and all that nonsense going on and the stuff with Luger and the Giant, which was terrible. The Chamber of Horrors match from 91 is probably one of the worst things you'll ever see in the history of wrestling where you literally have to put your opponent in an electric chair to win the match. Um but this, I mean, I, I really, I, in all honesty, joking aside, I really struggled to make it through this because yeah, it, it's long too. It, yeah, it is. Um, the Jericho Raven match is good, uh, although it brings back memories of them completely under underutilizing Jericho 
and even underutilizing Raven to the point where he's jobbing to Jericho and Raven was in the midst of like a losing streak. And after this match, I don't think we see him for a while. Um, you know, the, the Bret Hart character is just not what Bret Hart He is be. just awful. It's this version of terrible. Bret is so, it just, he doesn't care and nobody cares. That's the problem that you, you get that sense just too much in the WCW shows that the main event guys don't care. Nope. Nope. They, yeah. And, and I know Bret's not happy. Um, you know, I mean, a, you know, a Bret Sting match in the early 90s, even mid 90s would have been phenomenal. You know, these two at this point, it's not the same. And Sting um, at this point, too, had some some uh, issues going on, yeah. I think, with alcohol and yep. some stuff that he was like, you, remember, this is the same Sting who less than a year before this was supposed to be the savior, the guy that is going to come and disband the NWO. It seems so weird that Sting yeah. is coming out to NWO music. He's part of the Wolfpack. Like, they completely screwed that whole thing up with Sting and at Starcade. Remember, Brett was on Sting's side not even a year ago. It just, there were, there were some positives to take in the show for sure. But there are just so many t- things that Andrew said that just right. feel WCW. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to find a pay-per-view where everything's bad. I mean, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, no, you're right. It, it's hard. It's hard to find that. But I mean, th- to be honest with you, go, if I remove Goldberg and DDP, which I agree, we will get into it. I thought it was Goldberg's best match ever by a country mile. Oh yeah. If you remove that, in my opinion, the best overall match on the card is the Disco Inferno Guerrero match. It's a good match. Like that, that for me, in terms of in ring wrestling and what they do. I thought that was a damn good match, but yeah. it's just, and I keep thinking, like, can you imagine? And I don't really remember it, but because this pay per view left me so flat, the difference between like having this pay per view end live with Hogan Warrior versus ending with Goldberg and DDP, like, I mean, the, the you know, the difference between the the point of time where the the Warrior match end and the Goldberg match ended. And how you feel after each of those two matches is like night and day. You know, it really is. I'm going to be devil's advocate a lot over the next hour and a half or so. And I got to tell you guys, I'm really looking forward to it. Let's get into the show right away. So this is Halloween Havoc 1998. This is the return of the Ultimate Warrior. I say return. He's never really been in this version of WCW. But he's coming back uh, to, to play with some of his old friends and mainly... The honestly, the whole reason why the Warriors back is to give Hogan the win. It really is. It was because at this point, Hogan's got a lot of ego going on. He's bringing a lot of uh, wrestlers that he and and let's be honest, they did great business and they had a great match. So for for the two of for Hogan to think that bringing Warrior back in would 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 be it doesn't seem like it's a bad idea on paper. The guys they did a great job. That was back in 1990. The crowd didn't really want to root for either one of them. They really didn't. It, it, they didn't. They didn't present the warrior great, and and Hogan was just you know the the bad guy Hollywood Hogan. So um, this was, yeah, it was it was weird for this to be like the main the main build when you have this awesome main event match and the best match that Goldberg's ever had. That DDP just gets a, a real really good match out of him. So um, we get the intro, which is in slow mo. They show Hogan Warrior, Goldberg, DDP, Nash Hall building up them. As a couple of the major uh, matches on the show One thing I will say 
I thought the setting is awesome. I love that look with the gargoyle and the pumpkins and the smoke yeah, everywhere. You, you you know it's Halloween havoc. They would cut some of the uh the when they would cut some of the promos that they would have, they'd be standing right in front of that gargoyle, like with his hands over the pumpkin. So I like the look of this. It felt re- it felt like you're at Universal Studios. Yeah, no, it, the, you know they they did have good um you know good settings and good yeah. backdrops and things like that for the mm-hmm. previews. Halloween Havoc, they usually came up with cool stuff in terms mm-hmm. of what it looked the like. Gra- some some um, years they would have the graves and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I, I mean, this was after, I do miss when they used to spin the wheel for the, uh, yeah, for that the was cool. Match, it was going to be coal miners glove match and Texas death match and all that stuff. Um, but the one thing that, you know, if, we, if we're going to compare WWE and WCW a little bit, the stark contrast in terms of like the opening. Um, you know, the opening rolling and just the open in general and the quality of they the production quality. Is their video packages is off. For a, for a company that's a TV network, Andrew, yep. and they got a lot of money behind them, and we just talk about how great the setting looks, it's almost like they felt forced with a gun to their head, like, you better put a package together before some of these matches, but make it as crappy as possible. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it's jarring because these are the same guys that put together the NWO's videos in 96 and 97 when nobody else was doing anything like that at the time. Vince took that and used some of that same format to do DX's stuff, and that still made him millions of dollars. To go from those videos with the this presentation is being paid for by the New World Order to the preceding presentation was paid for by the New World Order, the great stuff that they did, the same people, Two years later, are doing this. Yeah, that's it's, it's one thing where we're nowadays too. A lot of people are hard on WWE because you know their their product at the moment is not the best. It's not the best it's ever been, but they've always been so damn good with these pro with these promo packages oh, yeah. and their build up packages. Like I genuinely would put them up with any organization in the world. The way they do them, I mean, they're incredible, and um, and, and yeah, it, that's a great point, Darren. To, like the real stark contrast between the two of them, and then another uh, one more thing that's kind of sad, a little bit of a bummer about this show. Um, we got Tony Schiavone, we got Bobby the Brain, we got Mike Tanay, but y- you can tell right away we get we get a few of Bobby's good moments throughout the show. He has a couple good lines and stuff, but he doesn't look great right away. You could tell no. he just doesn't look yeah. good. And there were a lot of rumors of him drinking a ton. He was not very happy working here. He, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I read said that he almost went into a depression after leaving WWE, WWF. Like he was like such a WWF guy, loved Vince, the com- the company. And uh, he was very sad that he wasn't going to be able to be a part of that anymore. And, and he ends up showing up here and he's getting big money, you know. But he's, what's weird about this too, um, Darren, is he's not really a heel anymore. Because he hates the NWO yes. So he can't be He's not ever, anytime there's an NWO match Going on, he's not rooting for the bad guys And that, that's what Bobby does so well Yeah It's its really difficult to. I mean, th- he does have a couple of funny lines One, one that I picked up that's real funny But um, Yeah, it, it's hard When we watch those pay-per-views from the Late 80s or early 90s And to hear him at the top of his game and then you see a pay-per-view like this, and, and, and he's, his character is different. So because his character is different, the presentation of his viewpoints are different. 
they're not as funny. It's very bland. They're not sarcastic. Yeah. It's and it, and it takes away from the show because obviously listening to Bobby is one of the highlights of a pay per view. Is that you know you're going to be entertained by just the quips throughout the show. This is a and I'm not going to say he's terrible because it's not, but it's just a far cry from when Bobby was at his best. Now there are a couple of reasons for this. Um, Heenan, when he went into WCW actually attacked his job with a lot of enthusiasm in the early years. Mm -hmm. He had a couple of creative ideas that he actually went and pitched to Eric Bischoff. But Eric Bischoff said about the four worst words that you could say to Bobby Heenan, you're just an announcer. Yeah. And at that point, the light went off. You don't do that. And as all of us can attest, you don't, stifle that's a great it's the word i was just gonna say yeah want to do something and want to do it well and want to help the people around them that's what bischoff did and he failed miserably the other part of this is going back and you can hear this in a number of different spots heenan and shivani did not like each other no that's heenan a good point and Ten- heenan and Tanay got along really well and they respected one another but heenan and shivani had legitimate heat when they were working together in the 90s, yeah. some of that was stemming to when Gorilla Monsoon passed away and Shivani didn't want a tribute to Gorilla on the air and Heenan had to fight for it. Yeah. There, were, there were some things that Shivani could it's have been blamed for. There were some things that maybe Heenan could have been blamed for. Whatever it is specifically is lost to history, but you can hear the tension between the two of them in a number of spots on this show and we'll see it as we go through. Okay, we're going to get started with uh, Halloween Havoc 1998. So we kicked things off, talked about the the commentary team, Tony Schiavone, probably the brain, Mike Tanay. They run down the card, um, and he – or the Nitro Girls right off the bat. This is another thing, right? Knowing what we know, that this this show went over like 15 minutes, you know, longer than, it, than what it was supposed to be on pay-per-view, when you, when you know that – and you go back through this and you see how much crap like this. I don't mean crap like the girls out there, but it's like, do we need do we needed the Nitro girls four times on the show? Gino, Gino, Gino. Are you complaining about the Nitro girls? Hey, you, you, I, you, you know what? I wrote it. I wrote the Well, Darren, you're just being a grouch for this show, and I'm going to love your <laughs> existence. I think you're wrong. On a serious note, though, yeah, there are a number of instances on this show where I'm going to bring up timestamps just to show how much time passes for certain segments. Mm -hmm. And you didn't need to cut much. Just a couple minutes here, a couple of minutes there, 30 seconds here and there. On a few matches. Yeah. We'll get to there, too. Like the stuff after the Brett Sting match, it takes forever for Sting to get down. When Brett gets announced, he takes like two minutes before he even walks out. Like his music yep. is playing forever. It was almost like, "Hey, Brett, you're on. Brett, you're on." Like he's just like in the back of the, you know, backstage. Just doesn't doesn't give a crap at all. Um, I think I mentioned somewhere here. Like, come on, get these girls off of my TV. I want my pre-orchestrated wrestling with these men in their underwear. You know, like something like that. But that's kind of the at, at the point. Like, I'm fine with them once or twice. And they actually mentioned this is the first time they're on the pay per view. They're they're never they've never been yeah. on the pay per views, and I don't think they were on pay per views very often after this. They were a good, they were a. I much prefer the Nitro Girls than like a concert, at a show. Right, you can bring them in in between things or commercial break, entertain the crowd a little bit, and they're not 
like you don't have to build really anything for them. It just felt like it was, you know, knowing what we know about this show running over so long, that was an, an easy part that they could have cut. Um, one thing to mention, I believe Shawn Michaels' future wife, one of those Nitro girls, whisper out there. Yeah, so um, that's the the woman who changed his life and who she she's probably the reason why he's around here today. Still, to be completely honest, um, because Shawn was not. I mean, at this point, you know, Shawn's retired now. And we don't see him back in the ring for a couple years um, On the other side, on the WWF side of things We get Mean Gene With Rick Steiner And um, he, they're cutting a promo And then here Rick Rick, And then it's, it's funny here the, the Scott one later I just can't wait till we get to that promo But uh, Rick says Tonight it's the hound and the pound And I'm gonna get down <laughs> And uh, you know what I will say this crowd loved them some Rick Steiner, man. He was hot. I I think a lot of it has to do with whoever's going against the NWO is pretty hot in their spots. But they were damn hot for Rick Steiner here, Andrew. They were. The crowd was scorching hot for this guy. The problem with this segment, and I hesitate to use the term problem, Buff Bagwell comes out. And we'll get into the Bagwell backstory in a bit. There is a backstory here and how WCW screwed this up. I shouldn't say surprising because of everything else they screwed up, but they screwed this up pretty good. Bagwell comes out. And if you could imagine what a 1998 outfit looks like, it would be this. It is an oversized FUBU jersey (laughs) and a beret and sunglasses indoors. He's doing his goofy little dance with the arms the other way and stuff too. It's just, oh yeah. And it doesn't help that Bagwell is just not a face at all whatsoever. He puts no effort into being genuine or sincere. And everybody can smell it and sniff it. The crowd, the commentators, everyone. Now, they pay it off reasonably well later, and we'll get to that. But you can see where everything is going as it's happening. It's almost insulting to the audience. Now, the audience is always going to be in on the joke to a certain extent. But this just made it seem like WCW assumed his audience was pretty stupid. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the the conversation between the two of them feels a little forced. By the way, um, but I mean, Buff Bagwell... If Tommy Dreamer and George Michael got together and had a kid, would it not be Buff Bagwell? <laughs> we need good steroids one. involved. That's I don't think one. Tommy Dreamer's muscular enough on his own to pass down those genes. But I mean, you combine the two of them and add, and add some roids, and and you get Buff Bagwell. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the conversation is kind of forced, and it's awkward when they're trying to like give each other a pound or do whatever that it is that they're doing. And everybody and their mother knows that there's no way Bagwell was on this guy's side. Including mm-hmm. Judy Bagwell. Let's lump her into this. <laughs> my, yeah, no, my, yeah, of course. You know, she, <laughs> she's the mastermind behind all of it, apparently. But, I mean, it's almost like insulting your intelligence that they're, like, trying to, like, force the story when you everybody, everybody knows it's complete bullshit. So, right off the bat, you get that. And I'm already aggravated because... Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I I didn't believe it when I saw it the first time. And now watching it again, it's even dumber to have this guy out there. Oh, oh no, man, look at my eyes, man. Yeah. Look at my eyes. And, and the worst the shot, man. Look at my eyes. Give me a break. And the worst part is, this is one of those times where I'm going to trot out the timestamp. After this promo is over, 
We have gone eight minutes and 20 seconds without a match. Nothing. We could have had a whole match. We could have had a match or two. minutes and 20 seconds. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. And it wasn't even, like you said, we're not even talking about great video packages to build up the show here and to set the the scene for the night. We're just talking about, like, pretty much garbage uh, for the most part. Do you fellas know uh, what Buff Bagwell does nowadays? Uh, I do. And if there are any children (laughs) out there, uh, I'm going to give the parents Three seconds, an opportunity to leave and usher them out the room. One, two, three. He sells himself for companionship. He is a male prostitute. He's an escort for uh, cowboys for angels. And if you and you look him up, he gives his. He doesn't pretend that he's somebody else. He talks about how he went. He was, you know, a star in WCW and all this stuff. And yeah, Buff Bagwell, who was a male stripper. Before some of his WCW days And then after his WCW days He is now uh, a prostitute So there, there's that um, We go to Raven versus Chris Jericho For the TV title Man, isn't it amazing Chris Jericho on TNT 22 years ago You know, yeah. I mean He's on TNT now How freaking young he looks and thin But the guy, he had it then He's had it forever The The it just the talent, just the he's hilarious here. Um, yeah. it, you know, he, he's really funny. Raven takes the mic. He's been on a losing streak. He said it's not his fault. What about me? What about Raven? Um, he said this is great. He doesn't want to wrestle, even though he's just been given a TV title match in the middle of his yeah. losing streak. It's like you don't want a shot for the title. Um, Jericho comes on. He cuts. Uh, he gets the mic and he says. Jericho, he says, I don't care, but all the Jericho-holics in Las Vegas came to see me wrestle because Jericho equals buy rates, butts in the seats, and rock and roll, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, he said he's bummed he doesn't get to wrestle Raven, the leader of the flock, the dumbest group of idiots on the planet. So we just see the, the great Jericho shine at this moment. And actually, right before this, Jericho was involved in a really fun Back and forth with Goldberg That Goldberg and um, Bischoff End up nixing because they didn't think Jericho was like a big enough star to be in a feud With Goldberg but the crowd was really Into it Andrew and you can see This Chris uh, Jericho Was like right when he came in he's the White meat baby face and then he became like The real whiny cry complain Guy and here he's He's almost turned completely into Cool heel This is Y2J Jericho version Mm -hmm. One Mm -hmm. and it really, if you cover your eyes and just know it's a Jericho promo, you could see this being early WWF Jericho right after he came over because it's the same general kind of bullet points. Now, both of these guys could obviously go both on the mic and in the ring. Raven was making the most out of a horrible situation. He had just come off of a good run with the U.S. title and with Raven's flock. He had a really fun match with Goldberg that sort of launched Mm -hmm. Goldberg up into the next level. Raven did everything he could for Goldberg. That's a hidden gem on one of the old Nitros if you can find it. Jericho is Jericho, obviously. And I really like this match. Me too. I thought this was a fun opener. It's a hidden gem, and I said that last week. Fast pace. Yeah. It's not long, but there are no rest holds. Everything serves a purpose, and these guys are bumping their butts off for one another trying to tell the story. One of the big bumps is Jericho goes flying off the apron, and he goes straight into the guardrail. And it looks fierce. It looks really, really bad from here. 
Uh, Raven gets a couple of really good near falls near the end of the match. They do a sequence with the exposed turnbuckle, which I really like. They didn't rely on it as a crutch. They said, okay, we have this, but we're going to add some stuff into it. It wasn't as simple as the heel taking off the turnbuckle and sending somebody into it. They added a lot of cool wrinkles to it. Canyon does a run-in that's a little bit quizzical. I guess they were trying to do something with him and Raven. In retrospect, I don't remember a whole heck of a lot, but Jericho runs into him, counters the even flow into the Lion Tamer, gets the tap out, and I thought this was a darn fun opener that showed both guys caring about what they were doing, Mm -hmm. and when you got motivated Raven, you got some really good stuff. We didn't see Raven again for another six months after this, and he comes back in a storyline where it turns out he's been camping at his mother's mansion, and it turns out he's a spoiled little rich kid, and those are actually some pretty cool videos and it was, you could find them. Yeah, it was supposed to be something with Piper, too. It, it was supposed to be, like, because Piper was kind of a mentor to him, and it was supposed to, end, like... Lead to something with him and Piper I, It was it was kind of fun after because we, we hear that everything that he's been saying Forever has been BS You know he really yeah. is a spoiled guy and he didn't have all A troubled like hardship growing Up and everything so um, As far as in ring quality Darren there on this show There's only a few matches that have pretty good in ring Work this was one of them It just it was a little bit weird with some of the Psychology and the Raven not wanting to You know wrestle for the title stuff Some things were a little off there but I mean, this was one of the better better spots on the show for sure. It is. It's a fun match. I enjoyed it. Obviously, everything with, with Jericho, I'm going to enjoy. Um, if you do watch the match closely, it's 85% Jericho and 15% Raven in, in terms of who's carrying the match. I mean, even the even the pop-up powerbomb, Jericho basically jumps right into, like leaps up and jumps onto Raven's shoulders and and Raven just kind of drops him on his back. I mean, you know, so Jericho's doing the lion's share of the work here, and he's making Raven look good, and and it's a it's a fun match, and, and I enjoyed it. Um, couple things outside the match that I took away. Number one, one of the things I forgot with WCW, it's like the wrestlers' entrance music is, it's like completely insignificant. It's something that always bothered it me. Is. In it WCW. is. And I'll tell you more after. Yeah, it, it's. It's weird to me because, you know, in, in WWE, you know, music's, music dropping creates pops. And, you know, they've had some of the, obviously the best themes. You talk about Edge's theme and Orton's theme and, you know, Warrior back in the day. And, you know, even the guitar riff of Bret Hart and obviously Hogan and Macho and all the way down the line. Music was such a huge part and is such a huge part of what WWE does. And... It, it, with WCW, it's almost like you have to strain to hear the entrance music, yep. and 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 that always bothered me. And I'll and I'll let Andrew pick up on that in a minute. But the other thing was that always drove me nuts about WCW. Can you put like a graphic on the apron of the ring instead of it just being the bland blue? Yeah. Like in, I know you got the monster Halloween havoc thing in the ring, but can you like you know put like a nice ring apron up that like doesn't look like it's a Thursday night house show? Um, so yeah, those two things off the top, like just struck back at me and go, oh yeah, these are two things that annoyed me about WCW, but yes, it's a good match. It's fun. The spot going into the, into the railing was, was, was cool. Uh, Raven hits a kind of like a jump drop kick while catapulting off the stairs outside. That was cool. Uh, there's a cool sequence with the pop-up power bomb into the slingshot to another move. And, and back then when, um, when Jericho used to, well, it was called the Lion Tamer before he became known as the Walls of Jericho. 
when he used to kind of stand up on that hold instead of just sitting down into a Boston crab, I always thought it looked looked kind of cool. Like it, it looked like a, it was kind of like a modified crab because he would almost be standing straight upright. And it looked a lot more painful, even though it probably wasn't. But the look that it gave, I thought was cool. But I watch this and I say to myself, yeah, but it reminds me, Jericho's underutilized. He's going to lose the TV title in, in a couple of weeks to Conan. He goes into like some ridiculous feud with Perry Saturn where they have all these kinds of weird matches with crazy rules. And I think, if I remember correctly, it, it, at Super Bowl, don't they have a match where the loser has to like wrestle in a dress or something yes. like that? Yes, like, yes. I mean, it, it gets really, really weird. And then obviously Jericho's in WWE a few months later. So while I enjoyed the match, I just remember this period of time wanting WCW to do so much more with Jericho than they did. Going back to the music, Jericho tells the story in his book about how at every prior stop in his career, in Japan, in Canada, in uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, over in Europe, he took great care to figure out the entrance music for him that embodied the work that he was going to be doing. The first day he comes into WCW and asks about his entrance music, some producer talks to another producer, and the producer goes, give him basketball highlights 12. <laughs> that's what he Jeez. got. Now, wow. WCW did know the value of entrance music because they were paying Jimi Hendrix $100,000 a year for the right to use Voodoo Child for Hogan. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it would matter so much for some people, <laughs> Hogan, <clears throat> yep. and not matter at all for pretty much anybody else, it, it, it's jarring. It's not shocking because, again, we know about WCW and everything that went down as far as their decline, but... It's one of those things that really stops and makes you wonder what their priorities were. There's one cool spot at the end of this match that I love because it's a spot that Jericho has done his whole life and he still does. It, it, when he's got somebody in the submission or like the Lion Tamer, and, um, you know, Walls of Jericho, whatever, and they get to the rope, and, and he acts like he doesn't know they got to the rope, and like the ref, and and so he, when the ref, you know, tells him to stop to hold, he he always will hold his hands up like he won. You know, and kind of start celebrating, and it's just crazy because he's—I literally saw him do this a week ago on, uh, you know, twenty-three years later, and he did the same thing here. It's funny, and then he realizes he doesn't win, and he gets mad, and he starts stomping like a little kid and, and jumping up and down. But um, he actually kicked out of a uh, Raven's uh, DDT finisher too. And then one thing that we see and we end up seeing, and you could tell, poor Tony Schiavone, he's just so fed up with all the low blows, you know, throughout the show, and the fact that like we just get. Guys cheating so blatantly in front of the referee all throughout, you know, each and every oh, match. These and referees are terrible, man. God, oh, they're bad. They're bad. I mean, they're, they're just awful. They're like the NFL. Uh, There's like 15 low blows in this paper. Real, honestly. I mean, it's, I, I'm not exaggerating. No, it's no, you're like, not. And this one match that there's like the Steinerman, there's like five. I mean, everybody gets low blowed in a different or like does a different low blow. And and then it, they, it just loses. Any impact that it has because guys are just Kicking out right afterwards and everything too It's just it doesn't make it doesn't do Do anything for you Here so um I, I Took a lot of positives out of that that and I Just love seeing Jericho at this age When he's so quick and spry But it, it also bums me out a little bit like you said Darren because that you know we See Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and Some of these guys not treated the way they should and that's Why they went over to uh to the WWF E and they became You know bigger stars there Another thing we could have cut from time. Here comes Hollywood Hogan and Bischoff. Oh, here we go, Darren. Jeez. So, 
it's the worst promo I've ever seen in my life. And I was gonna say the same. This is very similar. I mean, so the angle is that Hogan's beat everybody but the Warrior. It's Hogan and Bischoff. They cut a promo. The great thing about this is the backdrop. They're right in front of that the Halloween Havoc, uh, the 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 sign and the gargoyle and the pumpkin. That looks great. Everything Hogan's saying is crap. And the problem the problem with Hulk Hogan at this time, uh, Andrew, was we're already two and almost a half years into heel Hulk Hogan now. So we're th- th- he's not hot anymore. The crowd just doesn't like this guy. They're just kind of Fed up with this guy we've seen this heel version Of him now for a few years the babyface Version of Hogan was one that, that A lot of the fans were already getting tired Over you know and so he just he, This isn't even like The heat that he had in 96 and 97 And I'll say like all the way up to that Starcade match with Sting he had damn good Heat but like after that He just becomes it's almost Like the go away heat like he's trying To be like an old guy who's trying To act cool but he's not really cool You know he's one of those Like hanging on with the NWO And the NWO black and white Is Vincent Scott Norton Stevie Ray Hogan We're not even talking like the A-listers Of the NWO You've got the Giant and Scott Steiner in there too Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right All of the bums went to the NWO black and white brand And the appeal of Hollywood Hogan In 96-97 is This guy has gotten some really Big name guys to back him up and if you want to get to him you had to get through everybody else that was part of his heat that's gone with the advent of the nwo wolf pack which was a good idea in some respects lousy idea in others and we'll talk about that as we go along that aspect of hogan's appeal was gone and he looked a lot more like just another old guy now this promo oh boy so the backstory going into Halloween Havoc is Hogan is so ruthless. <laughs> he is so ruthless that he attacks his nephew, Horace, because we've never seen a family member versus family member storyline in wrestling at all ever. This is uncharted territory yeah. for anybody. And Hogan hits Horace with a steel chair. They make a big deal out of the fact that Horace needs staples in his head. And Hogan comes out and takes pride in that. Now, if this was a 30-second throwaway promo, fine and dandy. He goes on for what seems like an eternity. And after he's done with his promo, he sticks around and he's talking to the hard camera for another couple of minutes. And my all-time favorite Hulk Hogan line comes here. The line goes, when he's talking about the warrior, I'm going to rip his heart out and bury him in a toxic waste dump. (laughs) Just uh, why? Why did we need any of this? And I'm going to do another timestamp here. 28 minutes into the show, and we've seen one match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the whole thing behind this match is Hogan's facing the guy that he's never beat. Why, like, what is the deal with this Horus angle? Like, why does that even have to happen? Where does it come from? It's got Where nothing. Does it come it from? Does, I don't yeah. understand it at and, all. And not only does the angle happen, but they play the, the, the video back of it. Hogan's talking about it. I mean, you bring Warrior out when this whole thing starts. And he talks about, and we, you know, we make fun of that warrior promo because it's an hour too, and I, not an hour, but it's minutes and minutes too long. 
It's but the first couple like minutes of that, yeah. Yes. But the first couple of minutes of that promo is the, the best weirdest promo that, that, that Warriors ever cut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. You know, he comes out and says stuff like, you know, you've beaten savages and you've beaten giants, but you've never beaten a warrior. You know, it's a good line. That's the theme. What they could have done so much with that here. They could have knocked down fourth walls. They could have buried WWE and talking about what they were thinking back then. And oh, they could have done a million things with that with that line and, and with this promo and the promos leading up to it. They could have had a field day when it came to old WWE booking. And you know, I he could have he could have come out and said, I was ready for Hollywood back then, brother. That's the only reason you got the strap back in 90. I mean, they could have done a million things. And instead, I beat up my little nephew, and he had staples in his head. And now I'm going to yell for three minutes, and then I'm going to taunt the camera for two more minutes and just keep talking as if somebody is talking in my ear, telling me to vamp because they're they're, they're having a hard time cutting to wherever they need to go. I mean, it was complete, complete dog shit. It is literally when you watch the show, like it feels like the opposite of what reality was. It, it feels like people are telling people to fill in spots. It's almost like yeah. somebody's telling Hogan, "Hey, we got to get through three, five minutes right here, so fill this time." Instead yeah. of, we have a full show with twelve matches carded, two of which were just added the day of the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just. Just goes to show you, as Andrew mentioned at the very beginning, there's no checks and balances. There's nobody talking to each other. There, the complete we for as much as all of us don't, you know, it, like agree with some of Vince's storylines, and maybe he's a little out of date now with the way he does things, and sometimes he buries people here and there. Sure, whatever he does, the organization and everything on WWE is always like a just smooth. Like you never even think about anything like that. You don't think yeah. about. It's not even like a. There's not even a a thought that comes into your mind about them running long or or short or the timing being off or anything like that. You know, they just they're a well a well oiled machine with all that stuff. And you compare it to this company. Yeah, Vince was out of touch back then. Well, in ninety six, ninety seven, with the characters and the cartoon characters and having you know your characters were guys with occupations like you know garbage men and pig farmers. I mean that was. You know, that was terrible, but that's creative. You know, the actual the actual process of putting together the show, you know, was nothing like what we're seeing here. And and by the way, one other thing with Hogan, the dude was back on the sauce at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, tell. oh man, is I mean, he is he is bursting at the seams. No question about it. This was a, a big night for him. He wanted to get his win back. This is one of the yeah, only yeah. people in, in wrestling. Yeah. That he couldn't get yeah. his wit, that he he didn't go over clean, you know, uh, leading up to this. So, um, yeah, just really unnecessary stuff from Hogan here. Just rambling. We're gonna wipe the paint off the Warrior's face and leave him laying is another line that he said. Um, you know, th- this next match I didn't mind uh, up coming up. It was uh, Ming versus Wrath. So for those of you WWF fans, we have King Haku or Haku versus Adam Bomb, and Wrath looks great. I mean, he looks massive. He looks big. He looks like a star. Uh, Tanae said that he, he's ten foot eight or ten foot eight, six foot eight at this point. Um, he looks like Drew McIntyre from behind here. Yeah, yeah. And, he's um, got that kind of look. Yeah, M- Ming's a, a little older here. I mean, we 
We've been talking about Haku for a while We saw him in the early Wrestlemania era Of, uh, of the WWF And then at this point, which is kind of cool uh, Tony Schiavone welcomes Jason Giambi And Matt Stairs, among a few others That are in the audience there um, This match was fine It was only four, it was four minutes Yep, I know Andrew's got a couple big men In here who can move Um I have no problem with that They moved pretty quick early on Both guys One thing that I I think really helps this match The commentary They treat both of these guys like they're stars They talk about like Oh you know Ming is such a Ming's always kind of had that Oh he's he's one of the baddest guys in you know in the locker room And he can he can beat anyone And and then they were talking You could tell they were high on Wrath and they were building him up a little bit He hits the meltdown which was pretty Impressive to do on a guy like Ming who was pretty Big I have no problem with this match Andrew Yeah and you guys Hit it two big men that can Move everybody out drink 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 drink. now Wrath at this point Was legitimately over Yes wrath was being positioned Mm -hmm. As an upper mid card Baby face a guy who Carried himself like he Genuinely mattered Cool finishing move and was doing a lot of stuff guys his size would never try to do. He hits a cannonball off the apron. No six eight guy was doing that in 1998. Mm-hmm. He hits a flying lariat onto Ming, and Ming was a guy that could work as well. People forget this, but he has a good long career with a good body of work. Mm-hmm. This was a guy who did a lot of good work in Japan. Chris Jericho raves about some of the matches that he and Ming had in the 90s over in. Uh, W-A-R over in Japan, and those are good matches. Now, the problem here isn't this match. I like this match for what it was. It was a four-minute match designed to get Wrath and the Meltdown over. Mission accomplished. Hooray! The problem came after this match because Kevin Nash, in his rush to get ready for Goldberg, decided, whoop, need to go over Wrath. Sorry, Wrath. And Wrath was never the same. After that, as a singles act, he was done. He latched on with Brian Adams and formed Chronic. They had a little bit of a run, and then they went to WWE after uh, WCW was bought out and wound up being part of one of the worst tag matches you will ever hope to see. Don't worry, guys. I will never pick that pay-per-view. I promise you that will never be a pay-per-view I pick for us to watch because watching that match is hazardous to your health and ultimately... Wrath, Adam Bomb, Brian Clark, whatever you want to call him, he didn't get a fair shake. If he was able to continue on that trajectory, I don't know if he ever would have been a legitimate main event type guy, but he could have been a legitimate upper mid-card Absolutely. main event guy that you throw into main event tag matches and people buy it. WCW missed the boat on this guy. Yeah. You, by the way, the, the the tag match you're talking about was that the Unforgiven one against the Brothers of Destruction? Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. yes, it was. They <laughs> go um, hard way on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this is really this is really un, unfortunate here for for Rath, uh, aka Brian Clark, because he he's like you said he's over here. I mean, he, he gets a pop when he gets the win here. Uh, you know, the move the move is a good move. Uh, you know, he even hits a there's an Uranagi in here that that's pretty sick and. I mean, it, it, it's a good match. It, it does what it's supposed to do, and it's enjoyable. Uh, it's not slow. It's good pace. Um, but like you said, after this, he loses to Nash. He ends up going in a feud with Bigelow. He loses to Bigelow to really just to completely destroy him. And then he ends up tearing his ACL, uh, and he's out for, for about a year. 
And then when he comes back, like you said, they put him with Brian Adams. And, and if you don't know who Brian Adams is, that's Crush from from WWE. And, and that's pretty much, you know, the, the downfall of his career. But at this point, his trajectory is pointed upward. And Huge. He's, again, this is the hottest yeah. point of his whole career right here. Like, this, yes. this is, like, the um, best for him. And he, you feel like you could see the sky is the limit. He was someone that the yeah. WWF... I think Vince had promised an IC title run, you know, back at one point, and then you yeah. know plans change, and he was promised, um, you know, as Andrew said, to become like a main, like a at least an upper mid Carter. They were they were getting the rocket behind him. It just Kevin Nash got in the way. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's another part of the show, and and it has nothing to do with this match in particular, but like Jericho, it's another part of the show that bothers me just because. I know that pretty much after this moment, this is the end for Red, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't have been. And it's another part of the show that poisons the show for me because I know for another guy that could have been more than decent and could have had a, a really good run there for a couple of years just gets gets completely buried after this, and, and it's another part of the show that's just unfortunate. For uh, sure, and go really Andrew. quick... That's one of the things in these rewatches that jumps out. Some of these shows, if you watch them in a vacuum, are far better yes. than if you watch them knowing everything knowing the that sum went of all the parts and mm-hmm. everything that went in after. If you're watching Halloween Havoc 1998 in a vacuum, not knowing anything about WCW going in, with the exception of the Hogan Warrior match and another match that we'll talk about later that I honestly think is a worse watch than that one, not a worse match, but a worse watch, you're going to come away legitimately entertained. However, if you know the backstories going in and you know the aftermath of what's coming out, it's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Up next, it's Lee Marshall, a.k.a. Tony the Tiger. They're great. Lee Marshall backstage with uh, with Kidman and um, just talking about how he faces the winner of uh, Disco uh, Inferno and Hooventude. Um, doing the disco comes out doing his uh his best John Travolta, and um, this is a, one of the Bobby good lines um, when they announce Juventud from the Federal District of Mexico. And he says, uh, "Does that mean he wears those overalls and picks up stuff on the highway with those other guys?" <laughs> and then uh, Tony says, "Bobby always runs down people." And uh, Bobby says, "I haven't even driven since we got to this town, so that was quick. Like there were that was the Bobby that we remember, you know, with a couple little, little liners and and quick witted Bobby." Here, um, the the match is fine. I just one of those weird things where it's like this match, knowing that just like the way again, you know, the way they lay the card out, knowing that someone's in this match is going to have to wrestle twice. This should have been the opener, and then you can spread it out a little bit more. Instead, you have them wrestle right here, and then they wrestle again, which is a point that one of them even mentioned um, when Disco Kidman comes on later. They're like, "Oh wow, we got this match already." I thought there was going to be more time in between. Just more bad like organization stuff just just laying things out wrong. Um Darren, you you hit on this when you talked about the match earlier. This is a this is a good match. Like this was disc a really good effort from Disco. Disco's kind of over here too. You know, the people like the goofy Disco thing. Um he uh and and I I kind of thought it was cool that Bobby during this match was talking about Disco and he said, you know, somebody needs to take him under their wing. He needs to take him into a room and show him what he, he does wrong. And maybe be with him at ringside You know Disco's do- And as, as he's saying that Disco's like doing the Macarena And he almost gets pinned um, He does a giant swing Hey shout out to Cesaro there 
And uh, Hoovy hits a couple of Frankensteiners A corkscrew off the top rope Disco hits a pile driver for the W So he's going to face Kidman later But um, Darren, I'll go to you first on this one Yeah, the the, the match quality here w- was really good Yeah, I, and I was always a big I mean, look, we if you listen to these shows You know that I'm a big Bret Hart guy Which speaks to what I like I'm a big in-ring wrestling kind of guy With the exception of the Warrior who was like my childhood, you know, guy with the face paint, like every other seven-year-old kid. Um, this is a good match in terms of just the in-ring work. It's a lot of fun moves. It's a lot of cool spots. There's one slight botch when Hooventude goes for a Famouser and kind of tries to flip over and falls on his ass. Um, that happens maybe two minutes into the match, but it's just a minor blip. Oh, what I think is otherwise a, a really technically sound match. Um, you hit on Disco, you know, maybe it's being over and half being mocked for the gimmick, but the disco gimmick for whatever reason was over. People mm-hmm. got a kick out of it. Um, you know, is disco inferno the greatest worker of all time? No, but he could go. And he was you know, a good he, foil he, in the cruiserweight yeah. division because he yeah. was like a bigger, like a like more of a straight man to play off yes. of for all the smaller yeah. guys. You need someone like that in the division. Yes. And and if you put him with a guy that, that could really go he would keep up and, and it would be, and it would, you would get a good match out of it. You know, I, you didn't watch his matches ever seeing all oh, this guy stinks. Cause he didn't, he, he was, he was good in the ring. There's no question about it. Um, you know, but again, I, I, I enjoyed the match. I, I thought it, you know, technically I thought it was an enjoyable match. Uh, I, I got a kick out of how much the crowd is into disco Inferno. I kind of forgot that, you know, watching it back, how much the crowd loved that gimmick. But uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it just from a, a standpoint of a wrestling standpoint. There was a lot that I didn't remember rewatching this match. The storyline going in is Disco Inferno may have been playing games with the scale in yeah. order mm-hmm. to still be yeah. eligible for yeah. the cruiserweight division. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a rib on him because it's not like he was in bad shape. He was just sort of at the border of what you could market to be a cruiserweight. Mm-hmm. He was maybe 220, 230. And I don't know if somebody saw that and just decided to work it in or if somebody thought he was fat. And just they did that with Buddy Murphy a little while ago. They kind of had that similar angle on uh, yeah. when he was in the cruiserweight division. Yeah, it's a, it's yep. a good angle. Yeah, it is. And you can reuse it every once in a while with you know some effect to it. And that's fine. People forget how good a worker Juventud Guerrero was. Yes, he's Everyone excellent. Everyone remembers Rey Mysterio, for, and for good reason. Everyone remembers Eddie Guerrero. Everyone remembers Dean Malenko. Juventud Guerrero, when he wanted to go, could go as fast as just about anybody. And he has a hidden gem here that's one of the highlights of this show. Mm-hmm. Disco Inferno, as we mentioned, he is nobody's idea of a spectacular in-ring technician. This might be Disco Inferno's best match. Yeah, you're right. Ever it's up there. And they do some goofy stuff. Disco doing the Macarena and getting rolled up is the quintessential 1998 spot. There's a lot of quintessential 1998 on this show. Just be forewarned of that if you decide to watch along. I love the spot with the swing. They do a couple of times. Disco gets dizzy and falls headfirst right into Hoovy's crotch. If that was planned, that was a darn good spot. (laughs) And yes, it made Disco look legitimate but it also kept up his reputation as a total goof. And that is a tough line to walk when you're trying to put somebody in a position to challenge for a title. You're right. Not many guys could have done that. Disco wound up doing that. Tony Schiavone did not have a good night on this show. No, 
No, you're didn't. right. And there was one line here where he goes, Juventud Guerrero has really shown that he's a much better wrestler without the mask. Huh? Yeah. What does that have to do with anything except for the fact that you can't get merchandise revenue off of a guy whose mask is now non-existent? It doesn't work. And before I move on, before we go further, I must just say that every time I see Lee Marshall pop on my television, I think it's my father. They are staggering as far as how much they look alike. You know, you've met my dad. You yep. can see how yeah. I would think that. That's funny. I didn't even, I wasn't putting two and two together, but now that you said that, absolutely. And I'm always, I, uh, there's a, a fun podcast. If you like the, these old wrestling rewatches that we do, um, there's a really fun podcast that's called The Lapsed Fan. And they'll, they do, you know, they break down really old shows and they go, like, they have podcasts that are eight hours long talking about one show. And they joke about Lee Marshall, who's apparently like, uh, um, you know, like one of those guys who was very flirty with girls and stuff, and he had a reputation for like being a very uh, a woman a womanizer and like a ladies man. And it's just so funny when they're doing like they'll you know they'll talk about Lee like hey uh, hot stuff you know in the Tony the Tiger voice. It's just great, really funny. Um, and Lee was a uh, you know Lee has that voice. He has a good presence, and um, he uh, you know any anytime I, I see him on there, I get a, I get a good chuckle. Um, we got uh, the guys googling over the Nitro girls as they were. Back out there again And then one of my favorite parts of the show Here comes Big Papa Pump Only <laughs> we would gloss over The Nitro Girls in what For the big They Papa were wearing Pump. in that particular segment To get to the roided up Freakazoid known as Scott Steiner <laughs> I just want to make sure that's noted It is noted, it is noted Just breeze right past the, uh, the half naked Nitro Girls uh, over to uh, Big Papa Pump And he comes out and he says I'm standing here in Las Vegas, Nevada, in a town that never sleeps. But you see, I've been going for 30 days and 30 nights with a freak on my left and a freak on my right and one in a box. So being in Las Vegas is a night off for me. So I'm just here to tell you, Big Papa Pump is in town and he's ready to pound. So for all you freaks out there, Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holly, if you hear me. Your poor son. <laughs> this is what the hell is he talking about with the freak in the box and the freak on his right and the freak on his left and he's and this his catchphrase is that he is in town and he's ready to pound. That is, that is his catchphrase. Yeah, it's it's tough for me to watch this because I, I was a big Steiner Brothers guy. Like in the early '90s, and you know NWA and WCW, I thought they were really, you know, I, and from what I remember, I mean, I thought their matches, you know, against Doom and stuff. I, I mean, those were fun matches. And back then, you know, I mean, watching Scott Steiner, I, he could really go back then. I mean, you know, and then you get you get this version of him, and it's it's so like forgettable for me because it's just such a, it's like a totally different person. Than you know what he was, and I mean, look, it's one thing to be on steroids. This guy has got to be pumped full of every drug ever invented in the world. It's unlike point. anybody else that's that's I've all never, on steroids. In a world yeah. where most of them are on steroids, he looks like a completely different guy. Yeah, his his bicep muscle has like a little head on top of the bicep muscle. I've never seen anything like that before. And if you see him, and if you see him now, 
he's he really paid the price for it because he has like atrophy in his chest muscles. His whole chest is like he oh. has to have a tattoo over in the middle to kind of yeah. cover it because he, yeah. his chest is like completely concave from all of the the stuff that he did through the years. Yeah, and it's just but yeah, I mean this promo, I mean it's just like like you're supposed to be feuding with your brother. Like well, what the hell are you talking about? Like <laughs> again, another another thing where you you have a family member feud here. You know, and and not like that hasn't been done before. But okay, we're gonna have a promo, and you're talking about you're in town and ready to pound. I mean, like, is that like your way of trying to appeal to the 16 year olds in the crowd? Like, I just, yeah. For me, it was almost like I was watching this with my wife. And number one, like he he walks out, and she did well. She wasn't watching WWE when when he was like Big Papa Pump and stuff back then. So she she was out of it by then. And she looks at at him and she goes, "Oh my god." That's disgusting. It Just is. like, you know, physique. And then he starts talking and she looks at me and she's like, you used to watch this shit? <laughs> Mission accomplished. That's there exactly what I wanted from this show. There you go. Um, so he, he finishes up. Um, he cuts a promo on Buff. He challenges Rick and Buff Bagwell for the titles with the giant. Um, the Giants, you know, Paul White, the big show, who is, who's long hair at this point, and talk about missing the boat on someone. I mean, he's just another guy here. I mean, he's just like yeah. an unbelievable presence and a look, and he's young, and he's not even really in that bad of shape yet. He's still like pretty thin, and they just treat him like he is just absolutely nothing, which is really crazy. Um, J.J. Dillon comes out. He makes this match official. He says if they lose the tag titles, though, Scott's also got to fight Rick after in a one-on-one match for 15 minutes. Crowd likes the sound of that. They pop. Uh, up next, we get Fit Finley versus Alex Wright. Das Wunderkid. He's doing his uh, his Alex Wright dance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Fit, <laughs> Fit works on Alex early. Um, Alex counters with some Euro uppercuts um, The crowd was chanting boring super early in this match Although I didn't think it was that bad I really didn't It just wasn't the style that the crowd The crowd just didn't really like Like a hard hitting kind of like I think this is more of like an old school style match They wanted something really quick Or they wanted stars You know, um, It picked up when it went outside the ring um, Alex hit a missile dropkick off the top rope That looked pretty cool uh, Fit goes flying into the uh, the ring post. He tries to hit his shoulder and he he misses. And then uh, Alex Wright with a quick neck breaker for the win. Again, like we're going through these first four matches. I didn't have a problem with any of them. And when you're looking at the card, like after you finish this match and you're going, you know, this hasn't been obviously. There's been spots that dragged. Right? We talked about some of the promos weren't great. But as far as what had been going on in the ring, these first four matches, I wasn't offended. The, there were two short matches. The other two that were longer were both good, and and I'm thinking, wow, we still got Steiner versus Steiner later, Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash, Bret Hart versus Sting, Hogan Warrior, Goldberg DDP. This is going to be one of the best pay per views ever, Andrew. <laughs> I'm afraid I've got some bad news. <laughs> now, first of all, before I go further, Darren, please apologize to your wife for making her watch this. I mean, that's just that that's cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, at any rate, I've got a question for you guys. 
Alex Wright came into WCW in 1994, mm-hmm. 19 years old, and the kid looked like a million dollars. He was a good-looking kid, could work a good match with pretty much everybody, even at that young of an age, because of the fact that his father was a professional wrestler overseas. This guy knew what he was doing and had the psychology down from a really young age. Take that 19-year-old kid, put him in a time machine, get him to the performance center now. What do you wind yeah. up with? Oh, yeah. That's a missed opportunity right yeah. there because you mean the power goofy, plant didn't, yeah. didn't uh, do the job there? <laughs> no. And for as goofy as he was with the stupid dance moves and, and whatever, this guy could work. Mm-hmm. And he, he was, was like, he, it was a lot like disco. He really was. And, and he's a better worker than disco is for, you know, he can go more in the ring, but they had kind of a goofy gimmick that the crowd was into, even if it was just, you know, being goofy to play along with it and they could go in the ring. That's fine. There's a lot of guys that never get that kind of a connection. Right. And it's a case where I, j- I felt like they missed the boat with this guy looking back because he had a couple of other good matches. Jericho was one of the guys that said, hey, this guy wound up being one of the guys that we used to work with on the old worldwide tapings in Universal Studios that would get syndicated and run at about one, two in the morning just to get guys experience and give them something to do. This guy was a really good worker, and it's a shame he didn't amount to much more than he did. This match was not bad. I thought the boring chants were really harsh. Finley was stiff. If you look at the strikes, mm-hmm. this is not a guy that you wanted to mess with. And even in his older age, when he was working in WWE as Hornswoggle's father, this is a guy that held nothing back. Anytime he reared back to punch somebody, whoever was in the ring with him, they didn't get a phantom punch. This guy didn't know the meaning of working light. And he had some really good matches as a result. He had a parking lot brawl with Steven Regal, a.k.a. William Regal, in 95 on an episode of Nitro. That was really good. And he would go on to have a series of matches with Booker T for the TV title that were excellent. That TV title division was really good around this time. But nothing offensive here at all. I just wish they had done more with Alex Wright when they had the chance to do it looking back because he checked a lot of boxes and he's another guy that that WCW just seemed to miss on. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I'm going to give Alex Wright uh, some, some high praise here um, with a comparison. Watching this match, I'm not going to put him on the same level because he's not as strong and he's not quite as athletic. But for in-ring work, watching him reminded me a little bit of Cesaro. I, I knew you were going to go there, and I, I, I can see it. I can see I can a lot see of it. it. Yeah, I can see a lot of the tendencies that he had, the way he worked also. You know what's funny? He might be more over than Cesaro ever was, uh, like just yeah. over with the crowd, which has kind of been one of the problems for Cesaro. But I can see that, Darren. And yeah, and yeah I mean— Again, we're, we're through, you know, four matches. They've all been pretty solid. They've all been pretty inoffensive. We've got some major stars still, you know, on the second half of the show. But things start to turn a little bit here. Not immediately. Um, we go backstage. We've got Lee Marshall with Ernest Miller. <laughs> Ernest Miller was kind of funny here. He was talking about how he's uh, like 65-0 and against the guys in the locker room. And he's 5-0 and against the fat fans. Or he, says, he says something like that. But it wasn't – it was okay. It was actually I – I got a chuckle out of it. Um, and, and then the next match we have, just kind oh. of a waste. Like it just felt like something that could have been, been better served Why on Monday Nitro. 
right? Oh. It's just like do this on Monday Nitro. That's and that's fine. It's just a prolonged squash. It's Lodi versus Saturn. They were getting behind Saturn after they split up uh, the flock. He was, you know, in the flock with Raven. Um, I did. I don't mind the, you know, the the entrance, the siren with with Saturn. You kind of recognize that, and I think Cesaro actually had, I think, a similar type of entrance for a while too. But um, remember, Lodi's he's got all the signs. He was part of the flock. Saturn's getup was goofy too here. Oh, uh, and Tony, Tony mentioned it like. He's wearing a beret to represent his time with the Army Rangers, but he almost looks like he's like a, a stri- he's like gonna play like a stripper and be in some like 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 S and M you know club or something. Um, during the middle of the match, Lodi leaves to go get his signs. It's just this was blah. I mean, Saturn was always fine in the ring. He just I think Bruce Pritchard was talking about it on his show. He just didn't have a lot of charisma. You know, he just he couldn't really get over. He could he was fine. He could go. I think he he would have been even better served and best served as maybe a tag wrestler with someone else who was a little more over. Fine, you know, as, as they would say in the ring. But he he just never was more than like a an undercard type guy. Even when he came over with the you know when he made that big move with the uh, was it Guerrero, uh, uh, Malenko, and and Voldemort when when they came over. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, there's um there's a town in New Jersey called Lodi, spelled the same way. I California to, too. Yeah, I used to think that was the worst example of that word ever. <laughs> Until being reminded of this guy, um, I mean, this is just a w- complete. I I guess they wanted to get Saturn on the card. Okay, fine. This is just bad, and I mean, you know, Lodi's terrible in the ring. Um. You know, Saturn looks like a combination of you know a porn star meets Hell's Angels, right? And, and Lodi is wearing like these miniature leather shorts with like silver loops on it. It looks like he's like a dominatrix. If you were flipping and, the channel and you didn't know what you were watching, and this yeah. came up, you were like, "What? What time of the night is this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. like what, like. Like it was funny because this guy came out and, and Amanda says to me, "Well, check out this guy's outfit." And then Saturn comes out and she goes, "What the hell are these two guys about to do?" <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, Saturn Saturn had some decent stuff with Raven. You know, I mean that that was that was probably some of his better better work here. But the, yeah, I mean, look, the less said about this, the better. It, it, Saturn's on the card. His work in the ring is fine. He, he's in good shape. He looks good and. You know, Lodi could be forgotten sooner rather than later. I'm just happy Perry Saturn is alive because if you follow the stuff that happened to him after he left the world of professional wrestling, he was in an altercation back in 2004, breaking up a rape. He got shot. And Mm -hmm. after he got shot, he wound up turning to drugs to try to numb the pain and then had to deal with the addiction. It almost killed him. He wound up resurfacing and I guess has cleaned up. So more power to him for that. It's a really strange backstory. If you've got the time to look into that, it's um, it, it's something. That's for darn sure. But this match, oh boy. Uh, it's one of those things where you're wondering why the hell this match had to happen. Why Lodi had to be the guy opposite the ring from Saturn as opposed to somebody that could potentially have like made him look good. Uh, gee, wonder who they could have potentially used other than let's see. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, all the guys that were not on this show that were on WCW's roster at the time. And I was waiting for the opportunity to say this, so I might as well. 
All the things they could have done to go over. They go over with matches like this. You know who is not on this card? Any of the four horsemen which reformed yeah. six weeks prior to this show. Just horrible management by whoever was putting this show together. And as Darren said, the less said about this match, the better. So we get the uh, the Nitro Girls again. Um, yeah. The third time so far. <laughs> and this is what I said. It's like, come on, girls, get the F out of here so I can see some half-naked dudes in predetermined wrestling, please. Okay? That's why I'm here. Um, and then it's a uh, disco versus Kidman. Th- this was fine. Um, it's not as good as the first match, in my opinion, because I think Disco's a little tired. I really do. Um, you can kind of tell that they were they were gonna they were working this match. I think slower be- because of that factor. It was slow early, but the commentary, man, they're putting Kidman over like a star. In particular, Bobby. Bobby is all over Kidman. Um, he loves him. Kidman's got a you know he was good. He was really good in the ring. He, he actually is a, a guy that ends up beating Hulk Hogan in about a year three times in a row. I think he, he ends up pitting him. Um, he hits a cool-looking you know, running bulldog off the steps on the outside of the ring. And then Disco slows it down. Um, we get the Disco sucks chance. And I just I think they were a little bit hamstrung by the fact that Disco had to wrestle twice in a, in a pretty quick amount of time. Like, this, you know, this match could have gone on maybe a couple matches later. I think they wanted to save the main events to kind of stack them the last, you know, four matches in a row as big, big names. But I didn't, I wasn't bothered by this. It was okay. I just wasn't quite as good as the earlier match. Yeah, yeah, I, and I mean, in Disco's defense, I mean, between the two matches, he's out there, he's out there for more than the other four matches combined. So mm-hmm. you know, he did a lot of work here in the start of the show. Uh, you're right. In my notes, you know, I made a note where I said they're really. They're really pushing Kidman a lot. They clearly like him. And you can see why in the ring. I mean, he, he's not only athletic, agile, but he actually has deceptive strength in some of the stuff. He's a little bigger he, than you think. He's, he's kind yeah. of good looking, a little good looking too, kind of different, different look, you know? Yeah, yeah. I like him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, Disco hits in this match kind of like a Baron Corbin deep six kind of move. That was pretty cool. Um and I, I made a note of that. And then, obviously, the shooting star press at the end, you know, where he, where Kidman gets the, the pin is always a nice move to see. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the match is fine. You're right. You could tell that Disco is doesn't have the energy he did for the first match. But I give him credit. You know, the guy was out there twice in an hour. Oh, he put over 20 a, minutes but, between the two matches, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is not which was not common for WCW back then. Um, you know, guys like that were not wrestling twice. Uh, and certainly we're not wrestling twice when they were two of the longer matches in the card. So, yeah, uh, again, nothing wrong with it. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the match. Uh, it, it was interesting to see if this is another guy that, you know, Kidman that they seem to like and, you know, might have been a bit of a wasted opportunity. And, you know, you mentioned Alex Wright. You know, he was under that, that AOL Time Warner contract, so WWE couldn't sign him. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that kind of got screwed by that. And you have to wonder – if WWE was able to get their hands on him, maybe he would have turned into something. You know, yeah. they did a lot with all with a lot of other guys, but you know, th- th- that's a very common tale at this point. In WCW. Kidman had just gotten a makeover after leaving Ravens Flock. He had just mm-hmm. recently won the cruiserweight title. They weren't quite putting the rocket on him, but you could tell this was a guy they had major plans for down the line. And then Russo loved him too when he came in, and that that made it even go more, yeah. Part of the problem here, though, is Kidman was still very young. He was 24 years old, 
and was sort of thrust into this picture with a little more responsibility. And the match was fine, but there was a definite styles clash here, mm-hmm. Kidman and Disco. And he wasn't in a position of knowing how to handle that yet. He would eventually get there. And he had a lot of really good matches on the undercards of some major shows. But his biggest contribution to the wrestling world is twofold. One, he's one of the reasons we know who Tori Wilson is. <laughs> Two, he contributed to what is arguably the very first pro wrestling meme in the history of the internet wrestling community. One of the things that the internet wrestling community caught on to really fast is anytime someone would try to power bomb Kidman, there would always be a reversal. So the internet wrestling community, (laughs) anytime something happened with a match in all caps would scream, but you can't power bomb Kidman. (laughs) There's a good YouTube video out there of some of the montages of things with a voiceover artist. And it's pretty darn funny. So if you've got a chance, take a look at that. It's pretty cool to give yourself a little bit of insight into uh, sort of the beginnings of the internet wrestling community there. This match was fine. It wasn't bad. You mentioned Disco being out there a while. That certainly didn't help. The The one weird spot in this match to me was uh, Disco gets Kidman down after a couple of moves. And it's early in the match. And for some reason, uh, Disco yells into the camera, Kidman, turn the music down. Yes, <laughs> Mom. What's that supposed to mean? Yeah. I don't get it especially for a guy whose gimmick is dancing to music. I don't understand any part of that. And I guess I know what Disco was going for to try to taunt the guy, but Kidman wasn't the guy whose mother was occasionally getting trotted out in a mother on the pole match. (laughs) I don't get what was going on there. A decent match though. Kidman, it's the shooting star press. People are happy. And up until this point, guys, up until this very point, it's a pretty darn good pay-per-view. It is, and, and one day we'll get to Judy Bagwell on a poll. I can promise you that. That'll it be. It will pick. not be that, on my doing. That will I be promise. a pick of mine, and 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 one day just just because I can't wait to talk about that. Um, and we now move on to uh, tag team titles: Scott Steiner and the Giant versus Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell. I mean, this is the point where like the NWO just have the tag team titles and just can defend them with like whoever they want, <laughs> like a freebird rule. And Bischoff literally had said at this point. He hated tag team wrestling. He didn't think there were any tag teams worth, you know, promoting or worth building around. And you could see this. It's like they don't once the outsiders kind of stopped being a, a part of the tag team division, they just didn't really care about it. Period. Uh, we get uh Rick Steiner's getting worked on a lot, most of the match uh early on. I mean, it, he turns it around and this crowd, every time Rick has got the advantage, they are hot. He hits a clothesline, he hits an elbow, and he looks like he's gonna gonna go for the pin. And then Buff is like begging to get in the ring and and immediately he's in the ring for like two seconds and then he turns on Rick and everyone's just fed up with Buff. Uh, he ends up leaving and Bobby Bobby's like disgusted with him, which is funny, and Bobby says he's just like Hogan, which I, I thought was funny too, because Bobby just the one consistent for him all the way back from the AWA, I believe, was uh, his feud with Hogan. Whatever side they were on, they were always on the opposite sides. Um, he said, I thought this was funny too, Buff lied to the announcers in their pre-show meeting. I like I like that point that they were talking about the pre-show meeting and then they were talking to him uh, backstage. The Giant looks like he's got the pin on Rick at one point. He pulls him up. Um, 
Rick gets woken up <laughs> He gets his head slammed into the turnbuckle So he's got the uh, the Samoan uh, gene Also in him with the uh, the dog face And he makes the comeback Then we get a, As Darren mentioned In this match There's like five low blows Here's one of them Scott Steiner with a blatant low blow um, And then just to show you how damn athletic uh, the giant was, even you know, even when he doesn't give a crap and he's not you know booked very well here, he goes for a drop kick off the top rope. That was damn impressive. It ends up missing, and he hits Scott. I actually like the way that this this ended up happening. So Scott gets nailed. He kind of does like a he sells it almost like the Rock would. Like the rock would sell a stunner Where he flips over and he throws his legs up And then Scott's legs are stuck in the ropes That was a really really cool spot here um, To end it And Rick hits a bulldog off the top rope On the giant for the win The new tag team champions Are Rick Steiner So Andrew I mean This crowd loved them some Rick Steiner Crowd was into this And more power to everybody involved For getting them to that point However, we're going to explain the storyline. I feel like we need a <laughs> Dean Douglas bump in whenever I decide to explain yeah, a storyline. Yeah. Many months before this, the Steiners are wrestling and they're defending their tag titles. Rick Steiner goes for the top rope bulldog on one Marcus Buff Bagwell. Bagwell darn near breaks his neck. Hmm. And at the time... This was one of the most serious injuries that had ever been seen on a professional wrestling broadcast. I cannot underscore just how terrifying this was for a lot of people, including a lot of younger people that are watching this stuff. People that are our age, like teenagers and such, who are not used to that. People that are used to sort of cartoon wrestling, even ECW stuff, where you know that injuries are going to happen, but it comes with the territory. This was different than that. So Buff goes to the sidelines, gets his surgery, comes back. You know how it took leukemia to make Roman Reigns a beloved babyface? Buff Bagwell, if he had any ability at all to play a babyface, should have been one of the biggest babyfaces in the entire company. Right then, right then. It was already built in for you. Here's your problem. This guy couldn't play a baby face if you gave him a script and told him to memorize it. This guy is a natural heel. They tried to make him a face for years before this. They tried to make him this big blue chipper baby face uh, back in the early 90s. They put him with Scotty Riggs as the American Males, which, by the way, is the single worst theme music in the history of professional wrestling. And I will fight anyone who disagrees with me on that. (laughs) So they bring Buff Bagwell back. And they try to make him a baby face very briefly. And then I firmly believe someone realizes, wait a minute, this guy can't do this. So we get what we get. Buff gets the hot tag. Everybody's excited. And we don't even get any hope spots. He just beelines straight for Rick Steiner, bludgeons him down, celebrates as the same this old stupid little celebrating. Yeah. With yeah. a very punchable face. Like, It just did not work at all whatsoever, and nobody bought it. Now, at this time, Scott Steiner, while being incredibly roided up, could still move. And he could still do a lot of the things that Darren, people like us, admired him for doing in the early to mid-90s. He hit a Frankensteiner 
later yeah. on in this match. He could still do a lot of the things that we really liked Scott Steiner for doing, and he could still work, as evidenced by the way that he sold the Giants missile dropkick like that. Not a lot of muscle heads could do that. But this match and the resulting match, the Rick and Scott thing, I've got some issues with. So the Giant tries to get heat, and the big genius way that they decide to give this guy who they instantly pushed as one of the biggest stars in the company when he Didn't signed he beat Hogan right away? away. Yeah. Yes. You know what? You know what they gave him as a way to get heat. They gave him a pack of cigarettes. Cigarettes. He would smoke. And you know what's funny is the cigarettes. They look like a joint. It's like it's not even like an actual cigarette. It's like a a, a tobacco roll that you would roll on your own with papers. It's just this. He would smoke walking down to the ring. Yes. And it's one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, you're slowly killing yourself with tobacco. Good on you, buddy. Uh, It just did not work at all whatsoever. And I don't know why WCW did that. The entrances for this match took forever. This was another instance where I'm like, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Little sense of urgency here. Let's go. The Giant has a really funny spot right before the match where Charles Robinson, Lil Nate is asking for the tag title belts and the giant just holds the belt way up over his head and actually just Charles <laughs> Robinson jump up and down yeah. and try to get it. That's a pretty good little Easter egg. But Bagwell turns and the crowd turns on this match. You hear the audible bullshit, yep. bullshit, bullshit chant. Now, Rick goes over. In fact, Rick goes over twice. First, he gets the bulldog on the giant off the top rope. Crowd goes insane. Trivia question for both of you, without looking. Who winds up getting the other half of the tag belts the next night on Monday Nitro? Ooh, that's a good question. I have no idea. Darren. Oh, shoot. Uh, uh, not, not, uh, not Conan. No, but you've got the right first letter. Kenny Chaos from the Chaos. memorable jobber team, High Voltage. Yeah. What the hell? Wow. Yeah, like, it's one thing, like, for instance, you know who would have fit really well in that spot? Wrath. Yeah. Right I... freaking there. You yeah. give Rick Steiner a heater. You give Wrath a bit of a continuation of the push. Wrath is able to be the big guy in a tag team with Rick Steiner taking the beating and tagging out. You get Wrath. Give me Saturn, Saturn, even. Saturn you're you're building up too. Saturn. You know what I mean? Like, you're trying to build him. This Okay, put, put him in there. You got two... Kind of baby faces who are kind of hot. They, you know, you got Rick's kind of going against his brother in the NWO, and Saturn's just had his little thing with the the flock. It just, ah, yeah, I agree. It 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 always leaves a sour taste in the mouth when you know what happens afterward, and it's no good. Just yeah. like just like what it what happens with the Bret Hart Austin match at WrestleMania 13, knowing how amazing it it is for the industry going forward, it just makes that match so much better. For sure. Now. Rick gets his moment there, and then he gets his match with Scott. And I hope you guys don't mind. I'm lumping both. No, go ahead. Together. Yeah, go ahead. So the crowd is molten for this, and for good reason. This is supposed to be Rick getting his revenge on his brother. And who can't identify with that, right? If you've grown up with a sibling, you get an opportunity for that. Rick gets a couple of minutes, and in comes some guy in a Bill Clinton mask. And you know it's Bagwell. You know it just based on the fact that the guy is just impossibly built in a suit. You absolutely know. He's doing a stupid little strut, too. Yeah. So he comes in. 
hits him with the WCW trademark slapjack, whatever the hell a slapjack is. So then you get Bagwell rolling Charles Robinson around the ring weekend at Bernie style, trying to do the count and Rick keeps (laughs) getting up at two. So Rick winds up winning that match over his brother. Here's my problem. There was a big deal made earlier on in the show about the length of time that match was going to go. Rick explicitly said he wanted 15 minutes. I got seven. No one had any semblance of time with this show. As a package, this was okay. Rick Steiner gets to go over. We get a feel-good moment with the NWO getting some comeuppance. I'm fine with it in principle, but in practice, there's a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, I know what the story is, but isn't it kind of backwards? Like, like, shouldn't he have had to have beaten Scott to get a shot at the belts? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything yeah. about the storylines and all this stuff is, is a lot backwards because they just don't yeah. care. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. The real feud is the one-on-one. But if you're going to put the belts on Rick, you know, maybe you do. I, I, I mean, I know Bagwell turned, so maybe it. But again, it's just, it, to me, it's, it's just a sign of them sitting down and drawing up a plan in two minutes. Mm-hmm. And going, oh, we're going to do this. We'll, we'll do it this way. And it's nobody, over. like, nobody question one thing to say but what about this and then they would have immediately realized oh you know what we got to tweak something it's just like no you're you're 100 right it feels like with so much of this that nobody had a conversation backstage before they went out and did a lot of it and that's what as a fan that was the that was the downfall of wcw that like like so many of these little things that we point out because go ahead here here's another little thing i mean andrew hit on just about every substantive thing that you, you could hit on between this here's a little thing um with the exception of the world heavyweight championship title the belts suck yeah they, like if you look at them yep cruiserweight the tag title the u.s title it looks like the same belt yep they're terrible it's bland like, yeah bland generic it, it looks like something you, you get at a target on the kids toy aisle like, I mean, yeah. it's a li- again, it's a little thing, but watching it back, I'm going, oh, all right, there's the world TV title. Hey, the world TV title looks a lot like the cruiserweight title. And then the tag belts come out, and I'm like, wow, that looks like two cruiserweight belts. And then Bret Hart comes out later with the U.S. title, and I'm like, well, that looks like the tag title, but maybe a couple of inches bigger. But it looks like the same damn belt design. I know that, I mean, it's just another part of it. That just, you know, with WCW back then where with all the money that they had behind them and all the TV production and all of this and all of that, man, a lot of the stuff is half-assed. And maybe half-assed is putting it generously. Um, you, uh, The last thing I'll touch on, you, you mentioned the Bagwell injury. Um, that happened on a nitro in the spring. I think it was a nitro, yeah. And Yeah, it sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a – it's hard to call it a botched bulldog, but basically what happens is Rick comes down, and as Buff is coming down, Rick's arm slips off of Bagwell's head. And Bagwell falls, like Rick hits the ground first, and Bagwell then falls behind him. And it's like, it, you know, in, sl- in the live shot, when you see it live, you can't even tell. But what ends up happening is he basically jams his head 
on like Rick's back, and and it, and, and he basically goes stiff, and it's scary. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I thought he was going to be either done or out for a very very long time, and when he showed up like four months later, I was shocked. Me too. Like, I mean, I remember that was one of those things like wow. Uh, it, it, Ten years old, me, uh, def- definitely a little scared there. Um, yeah, Scott Rick was fine. I mean, Rick is just over with this crowd. It's just another one of those things where it's like, okay, you're building Rick up. What the hell happens after this? Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, like you're bu- like, another thing. Um, did the referee take a bump in every match on this paper? Everyone, yes. they got the crap kicked out of them on a few. Oh of God, Jesus. Chris. I mean, Brett nails him later too in the match we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And the, the I think Tony mentions that man, the refs got it bad. They got just crushed, and not like they weren't creative ref bumps. They're just like no. the heel just throwing the ref out of the ring or you know attacking the ref, which just is no it's not, no creativity to it whatsoever. Um, Bobby says that Rick isn't human, so Bobby was uh, all over that, and they're definitely uh, you know. Trying to get Rick over He got over, he's over It's just, they don't do anything with him moving forward Because the, we're going to see the man Coming up next the, the the man who embodies Everything that is cool And I think, I almost Knowing everything I know about WCW And this era I just hate Nash, I really do I mean, it's almost like how you are with, with, with Hogan For like all the stuff that he did in the WWF era earlier and and Hogan's still doing it now in WCW, but Nash is now doing it, you know. And he's acting like he thinks he is so damn cool and everything he does. And it bothers me because Nash, as Diesel, was good. Like mm-hmm. he was a good character as, as Diesel. Vince knew what to do with him. Vince knew how to get the right kind of a match out of him. He was more motivated there. He didn't have full, complete creative control. And you know, like a match like this. Okay, so it's. On paper, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash The outsiders, the, the buddies Like This is going to be a great match, right? They're going to be working hard There's going to be like a lot of storyline behind it First off Doesn't it feel like the, the drugs, like alcohol Kind of is, is back Like, it's, it's weird Because generally, you have the baby face As the, the person who is struggling Through drugs and through alcohol And like Overcoming it you know we see Jerry Lawler did it with uh, Jake the Snake you know and, and we see CM Punk Did it with Jeff Hardy WWF's doing uh, WWE's doing a similar thing You know they were just doing it with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy Too but it's like the baby Face is generally the one who's had the struggles And needs to overcome this Just seems weird with a guy That who is at the time Having major drug and alcohol Issues just Putting this front and center Having the guy act like he's drunk on TV Who knows, he might have been a lot of the time I think he was, you know, acting like he's drinking On the way to the ring here It, I, I just, it I didn't, I mean, everything about this match To me was awful This thing ends up going 14 minutes And it's not even a match It's about 5 or 6 minutes Of You know, Hall Just completely beating the crap out of Nash Because Nash is like letting him and then I don't even what makes Nash fight back? There's no there's nothing in the middle of the match. He doesn't come out and cut a promo. He doesn't do something that like triggers Nash. It's just six minutes into the match, Nash just starts decides he's gonna start fighting back. Why? Like what sparked this? I, I'm curious. It, it's just so weird. So now Nash is in control. There's no back and forth whatsoever. One guy dominates, then the other guy dominates. 
It's slow as molasses Neither guy cares about having a good match Because they're they're getting their paycheck It's like yep. so few of these main eventers Have a quick paced match At all And all we saw Raven Jericho quick paced Ming and Wrath They went quick for their four minutes Disco and uh, you know Hoovy They were going fast Alex Wright was at a good pace Kidman's at a good pace The Stein- Rick Steiner was working his butt off You know And now we get these guys Who you could just tell They don't give a shit And it's like I'm I'm supposed to care and think that this is a big deal, you know. And then even at the end, why you're beating the crap out of the guy? You're trying to prove a point. He says like I'm going to beat it out of him. Why not just pin him, put your foot over his chest, and walk out of the ring? Why do you let him win by by a countout? I, I didn't like anything about this match or this angle or this feud or this build. Yeah, and and for me, it was it, I it was really uncomfortable to watch this because, you know. Clearly, Scott Hall is going through stuff here. And to be honest with you, just looking at him, in, in a period of two years, it looks like he aged a decade. Yep. Um, you could see it on his face. He, he wears or, it on his face. Yeah. Yes. Whenever he did those goofy pigtail things, you just knew yep. he was, like, jacked up, you know? Jacked up, yep. And, and look, I, well, I won't say he's out of shape because I would like to be out of shape like this. <laughs> but if you compare him here to like peak razor into the match we just did 92 when he comes in and yeah. he looks like a monster. Yeah. It's, I mean, he's probably 25, 30 pounds heavier and it's not muscle. Um, you know, and, and, and it's just, and you could tell he's not taking care of himself. He's probably not working out the way he should be. He's drinking, he's on drugs. And I mean, this, the vast majority of this match is just punches and haymakers. I mean, what's fun about that? You know, they're slow. It's not like quick pay. It's just, and it's 15 minutes long, which makes it even worse. Yeah. Everything about this is bad. And this is why, for me, this pay per view sucks. And it's not, and listen, there are some good, decent matches to start it. This pay-per-view sucks because your big headline, you know, name in lights matches are god awful, with the exception of the last. Yeah, th- there are four of them that we're going to talk about, starting with this. The three of them w- that have the six biggest stars at the time in pro wrestling, right here. I mean, Goldberg is a bigger; he's hotter, but N- Hall and Nash are bigger names. They're more known. They've got more of a career. Hart and Sting. Hogan and Warrior. Not one of those guys look like they gave a shit in this nope. in this show. Not and, one of them. And then you and get then, to Goldberg and DDP, who really did, which was a bummer. I would give me four of those damn matches instead of these three we had to suffer through before that. Right. And compare that, you know, and, and Andrew, I'll let you take it from here. But when, when we talk about like the WWE pay per views that we've watched, where you know there have been some WrestleManias or whatever that we've seen, well, like, wow, that match was terrible. This was bad, whatever. But we never got a pay per view where big matches all were garbage you know and to me that's why this thing is covered in stink okay so you guys hit on a lot of the big points here one thing i will say is i don't think the brett sting match was bad i just think it was really disappointing and we'll get to the reasons why in a bit yep you guys hit on a lot of the major details with the hall nash thing i've got a hot take make no mistake Hogan and Warrior was a worse match. I am not debating that. 
I think this was a worse watch. I like this less. I think I like this even less because I could hate watch the Hogan Warrior thing and like exactly. laugh at it a little bit. Yeah. Like you look at this match and you see a guy who is crying for help and a guy that you know when he is on his game is one of the most exciting performers in the business. A guy who got psychology better than just about anybody. You've got Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel, legit drawing card. When he wants to be a big guy that can move, everybody drink. In this match, Nash had, in the words of, I forget who said this, it might have been Cornette, but this is one of the matches where you can see Kevin Nash in four moves, five if you count the hair flip territory. It was just not imaginative at all. Uh, Nash gets cut up early in the match And it seemed like he got cut up Because Scott Hall got careless Yeah You saw they were playing around with the wire Outside the ring that went to one of the cameras This was just bad On so many levels I don't know who this was booked to please And if this was a way to try to wake Scott Hall up It did not work I mean, that's why rehab is there That's why you send people to rehab That's why WWE has the rehab program for all current and former employees which for all the things they do wrong they did that right and that should be credited for that the less said about scott hall in this period the better i am just happy that guy is alive and the the thing that's that's like kevin nash is gonna go on and take the title from goldberg not long after this like that's what's so crazy you come out of you come out of this show and i mean Rick Steiner is way hotter and more over than him And like there's so many other ways you could go Give me Bret Hart You know which they go to Goldberg later You know and anybody else Anybody Hogan or Warrior would have been even Like Hogan at least had this stuff with I I just I don't understand It was Nash was in charge you know And he was able to make a lot of the decisions And and book the matches and this was I mean I I got frustrated Watching this match I just like He just did it was like I'm think watching this, getting the feeling that Kevin Nash is like looking at me individually with his middle finger up, you know, just kind of like f you, buddy. I've got all the money I need. I don't have to work all those dates anymore, like I did at WWF. I got all the creative control. I'm here with my boys. I'm just gonna come out and like nothing, like urgency. When I when I worked one of my first jobs at Islands Restaurant, I come in and I'm like, you know, a busboy and a and a host and then an ex food expediter and everything. It's like one of the things that they they say and we used to laugh and joke about is, you know, having a sense of urgency. There was none of that in this match whatsoever, and it's disrespectful to a fan when 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 you can t- tell that the the in ring workers don't give a shit, and that was the case here. Um, in, in this 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 was like more about the story. Than it was the match, and the story's a shitty story. So, uh, yeah. yeah, excuse some of my verbiage. We got a little uh, here. I just I, this one. This was one of the my least favorite matches I think that I've watched in all of the pay per views that we've covered so far. Because I just know that we saw these two guys at '95 SummerSlam, or was it '94 SummerSlam? Like they had a good match for the IC yeah. title. Yeah. We, we know that they both can go. We've seen them both have many four star matches with other guys. Yeah, and, it's like, and I, yeah, and it's one of those things where. Look, I knew Hogan Warrior was going to be bad. I knew there was stuff to criticize. This is the one time on this entire show 
where I felt legitimately bad for picking this show <laughs> because I forgot how far gone Scott Hall was. I mean, right before he hits the uh, the jackknife, he does the little mimicking that he's drinking, like he's a drunk guy. He's, Ooh, you know, and actually Tony, he talked about how Tony wasn't having a very good night. He actually calls it the jackhammer. Um, and then they have to correct them real quick and say, you know, it's a, the jackknife. And then Tony, oh yeah, jackknife. And and then even though on the second one, like he kind of struggles to get him up a little bit. It's almost scary for a second. It looks like he's kind of like losing his his grip. Um, um, Nash is kind of losing his grip on on Hall for a second. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll move on now <laughs> to the fourth time that the Nitro Girls are on the show. But in wigs, they're yeah, wearing wigs. They got wigs and they got a different getup here. Um, in a show that ran long and had to be cut off, we have this in a 15, a 14 minute and 19 second Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash that you could have cut six minutes off of that and it would have been the exact same match. The yeah. exact same match. Um, here we go. Bret Hart, the US champion. It's Bret Hart versus Sting. It's the sharpshooter versus the scorpion, Deathlock. I think you meant you 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 hit on a good point, Andrew. If I'm just watching this match, I don't know Brett, I don't know Sting, I don't know the backstories, I don't know Brett, you know, in his history in WWF. This wouldn't have really been offensive to me. This would have been just okay. It's just knowing everything that we know, knowing that less than a year and a half ago, Brett is involved in one of the top five matches of all time. You know, we know how damn good he is. And we even see see some shades of him being good here and there in WCW. But man, um, he he just really didn't seem like he cared a lot. He was he he does a good heel. I'll give you that because he was really cheating and he was being you know dastardly here using a baseball bat, all, all these these different things. But we get two minutes of Bret Hart's music playing before he walks out. Here comes Sting, and it's like NWO Wolfpack. So this match has started and it's already just weird Like Brett's taking forever to get to the ring And anytime Sting comes out with an NWO Like theme It just doesn't fit And you know we, we spoke a little bit about how Sting Wasn't in great shape at this time physically I mean the guy is supposed to be the savior Not long before this He's got that awesome run in 97 you know, He's in the rafters Everything leading up to the Starcade match was incredible And then everything from the Starcade match After and how they handled him Was just Miserable uh, And remember Brett was involved in that In that you know, storyline with the botched Hogan and, and Sting you know Finish which didn't even really look like a botched Finish so um, They set it up as sharpshooter versus Scorpion one thing I did um, Think was interesting Darren is that They mentioned that Brett's a five time world champion we, we don't see that a lot in wrestling Companies where they mention Titles from other organizations So they're definitely still giving him the rub As like being a legitimate main eventer They said Sting's the four time world champ But it's just it's We know what we can get from Brett Could you imagine this match Two years earlier where they're both Like it's face versus face And the crowd's yeah. just insane for both of these guys Yeah so This is where um, This show really really got to me Because I remember watching it as a kid uh, my favorite wrestler in the history of WCW was Sting. And my favorite wrestler in the history of WWE was Bret Hart. So for me, this was everything I would ever want to see. Um, Sting is not in the best Sting shape by a long shot. Um, you know, if you remember what Sting looked like in the early 
you know, the mid nineties. I mean, Sting was jacked, cut up, Thin. ripped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's clearly lost quite a bit off of the fastball in terms of working out and things like that. Brett still looks like Brett. He still looks. He, he great. looks great. Yeah. I mean, I took, I wrote that yeah. down too. He comes out and he looks great still. Yeah, okay. yeah. Still looks like Brett. I mean, the moves in the ring. You know, the the side rushing leg sweep. You know, that backbreaker is one of the best side backbreakers you'll ever see. You know, all the stuff that he does, it's all there. But he's not having fun, and you can tell. And we and we talked about when we watched Survivor Series 92 last week, the match with him and Sean, you could tell that the two of them were having a blast out there. You could see it in everything that they did. Uh, Brett is completely miserable here. And it shows in his facial expressions. And even if he's playing a heel, it's art imitating life. It's this is his attitude probably in real life right now. And it's coming across as the character. And I hate it because this is not the Bret Hart I grew up watching. And is the match horrendously bad? No. But knowing what these guys can do at their best, this match should have been so much more. And for that reason alone, it makes me sick as a wrestling fan going back and watching this because it's the 15-year-old in me being so disappointed in what this match ended up being uh, and so disappointed in the Brett character and, you know, the whining and the temper tantrums. And I get it. He's a heel. But it's just it's just very not it's, – it's even worse than the 97 stuff because – you know, in '97 in WWE, the guy was legitimately getting screwed over. Like, no, he had a he had a he had a gripe. Yeah. He had a little bit of a gripe. The the Canada yeah. stuff worked. This just yeah. seems like it. Just there's so much off about it. It's just like it you is. say. It's just it's bad. Like he doesn't care. He feels like. I mean, I heard some of those things about Brett that he would you know show up literally like a half hour before his match on pay-per-views yeah. and stuff like this. He wasn't hanging yeah. out in the back with the guys. He was the locker room leader of the WWF for years. You know, guys went to him to help dis- uh, you know, settle disputes and arguments and now here he's just getting a paycheck. He doesn't really even stick his nose in anything creatively because it's Hogan and it's Nash and it's all those guys who he never really loved, you know, to begin with in WWF. Um yeah, it's just it's it's sort of a bummer, man. It really is. I, I, and, I'll, and I'll and I'll and I'll say this before I send it over to Andrew. To me, this is a big part of why WCW failed, and it's not just that they spent an exorbitant amount of money on talent. In my opinion, if you're making two million, two and a half million, three million dollars, four million dollars a year, working a hundred days out of the year. You're saying to yourself, well, what, what, you know, I don't need to go out there and, but these guys are paying me a ton of money. I'm going to go out there and get by, you know, and it's going to show. And I think they overpaid these guys for so little work. And I think it reflected in the work they did. And eventually that caught up to the product. And I think uh, for a lot of other reasons, that was a big part of the problem in WCW. Agreed on a lot of different fronts there. I mean, the complacency that existed among a lot of WCW guys near the end was, uh, it was evident and you could see. And going to this match, none of it made any sense. 
Here we have Bret Hart coming out to face Sting. Bret's a bad guy, and we know Bret can play a bad guy. But Bret was never the lie, cheat, steal, wine, heel. Bret was a guy who, as a heel, always believed he was better than you in the ring and backed it up. That's a good it point. Was a different kind of heel. He, he, he wasn't the, Larry yeah. Zabisco. No, no, right. and that's what he's playing here with the stalling off and you know and 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 cutting ducking out of the ring here and there. It's a different heel Brett than we've seen, and this isn't the best version of heel Brett. It's like right. you just have cat guys just so miscast in a lot of these roles. Yep, and then you have Sting, who ten months earlier was WCW savior. Earlier this year, when the NWO splits off, the first thing. Both NWO factions do Is try to recruit Sting Who had spent the lion's share Of the previous year and a half Trying to not just defeat But humiliate Every guy in the NWO Especially of course Hollywood Hogan There was legitimate tension too About if he would go to black and white Or if he would go to the red and black And they acted as though We should have been relieved When he went to the wolf pack no! Sting is the lone wolf. Sting is the vigilante. Sting is the franchise. Just no. No buys on any of that. Absolutely. The red and black gear looked reasonably cool, but then he started with the goatee, which didn't make sense. None of this worked in any sort of concept. And that was driven home by a line said by Mike Tenet that was not supposed to be a shoot comment, but was a shoot comment. You have Bret Hart arguably the best technical wrestler in the world. You have Sting, who has wrestled legitimate classics with Ric Flair, with Vader, with any number of guys. Mike Tenay's quote, we don't expect a technical wrestling clinic. Why not? Why? I know. It's supposed to. That's what we're supposed to be. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Going up against a guy who, when he gets the right opponent, can keep up. This could have been, I don't want to say should have been, but this could have been 10 times the match that it was. Now, the match that we got wasn't horrible because these two guys could work a decent match in their sleep, and they pretty much did. Unnecessary ref bump, check that box. But they do a cool little segment uh, sequence where they do Irish whips and the stinger splash with the referee right in the middle of the ring. Yeah, that was cool. That was pretty inventive. Like around him. They work around the ref. Yeah, exactly. Now, make no mistake. It wasn't good, but they tried to be different. Brett gets the sharpshooter. Sting passes out. Whatever. The Sting stretcher job took six minutes. I timed it to six Six minutes. minutes from the end of the match until he's in the ambulance. Yep. And then he was off for six months. Till March 99. Now. He's off six months after not working a match from September 96 until December 97. He works 10 months and then he's off six months. The problems that he was going through, we knew they existed, but that sort of spotlights how bad they were. Yeah. And he's never really talked about how bad they actually were. And there's a reason for that. He is a born-again Christian, and I think just wants to leave that in the past, Mm -hmm. which I get, and I'm happy he's here. And by all accounts, he's a legitimate good guy. But that was not a good look for anybody. 
this match was okay, but it should have been 10 times greater than okay. So you talked about the ref bump. Sting, he swings his elbow to the back because he thinks it's Brett from behind and he ends up you know, elbowing the ref. And then the ref's kind of down on the floor. And then ref co- Brett just comes and just drops the leg on the back of his neck. Just brutal, like a brutal leg drop to the back of the neck of the ref. And, um, and then a little later on, uh, they go, Sting goes up to the top rope and he hits a superplex off the top. And when he superplexes Brett, his legs just nail the back part of the referee's legs, too. Like, right off the top. They just don't give a crap about these poor refs out there who are just getting beat up. Um, Stinger hits the splash, but he jumps so high, he hits his head on the, uh, on the post. And then Brett gets the baseball bat. He hits Sting in the back and then in the back of the head with a baseball bat. Like literally attempting murder on the man Then he goes off the ropes With the bat into Sting's throat Brett then rakes up the referee He puts Sting in the sharpshooter Even though Sting's already passed out And Brett ends up winning And then as I, you know, as Andrew just mentioned After that, it is six more minutes Till Sting is in the ambulance and gone And, um, and then he's gone till March of 99 Yeah and one comment that bothered me, I think it was Mike, I don't know if it was Tanay, they said each of these guys are jealous of the other guy's move. It's the same move. Yeah. The sharpshooter and the scorpion death block is, is the same thing. Now, one thing that always drove me nuts about Sting, when he puts on the scorpion scorpion death block, he, don't, he does not sit down on it at all. It doesn't it's look like, good, yeah. It's uh, almost like when The Rock does a sharpshooter. You know, he doesn't yeah. really like sit back on it. It's kind of awkward yeah, looking. Yeah. He's like standing up. Like, like it's almost like, it's almost like a catcher that's tired of getting in the crouch. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, but, you know, when they're, they're jealous of each other's moves, what, what do you mean they're jealous? It's the same move. Like, what, what do you mean they're jealous? Like, another, again, a little thing that just made no sense to me. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Up next. I'm looking forward to this, and I've been looking forward to this for a week. Let's yeah, actually, like a week and a half, because we filmed the, or we recorded the, the show uh, a couple days earlier last time. So it's been a while since we sat down and had a conversation. And now we're going to talk about one of the more infamous matches in pro wrestling history. I believe Dave Meltzer gave it a negative five stars. Is that right, right. Darren? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we get the Hogan NWO music. And it's like, at this point of these shows, too. I'm like so sick of hearing the NWO music. Like I love it; it's great. But like you hear it so many times. We've heard seen Hogan already come out and cut a promo. I like three or four other times. Um, Warrior runs out. The thing is, though, both of these guys silence. They're not getting cheered. They're not really getting booed. He tries to do the rope shake. No real response. Um, Hogan's saying he can kill this guy, and it, it just it takes forever for Hogan to get into the ring. We get Warrior Sucks chance early on. The crowd boos him when he gets on the ropes, but then they cheer him during the start of the match. They boo him again. They don't know they don't know who to like. They don't really like anyone because Hogan's passed his time as as the main heel here. And Warrior has not been built very well. You know, and they're because the point of this was just to give Hogan the win. Uh Warrior's in charge early. Hogan ducks out of the ring. Um, and the, nobody cares. Like the, the, the crowd is He's really been checked out now after the last two matches that were kind of slow plotting matches. Um, it's you get now we get the Hogan sucks chant. 
We get um, an awkward ref bump And then Hogan drops the, the knee on Nick uh, Hogan drops the leg on Nick Patrick um, The Giant ends up coming out um, Warrior ducks And Hogan gets nailed by a boot from the Giant Stevie Ray and Vincent are also out there um, They go for a pin when the ref is down Bobby mentions how the ref has taken a beating All throughout the night um, Hogan takes off his weightlifting belt He starts whipping Warrior um, And then Warrior's kicking the ref Like what? What's going on here? I don't understand Like Hogan chokes Warrior Everything is so slow um, Warrior it, When Warrior misses the splash And Hogan's like slowly getting up That was the point of the match where I was just shaking my head And it's like this is sad These are two guys who eight years earlier but that's and that's the thing. We're not talking about a match that was two years earlier. We are talking about eight years, eight and a half years earlier. These guys are not the same guys. They're not the same characters. The crowd doesn't care about either one of them. And they can't for two guys who would were always thought of being limited in the ring to begin with, they're past their prime. I mean, I don't think we see Warrior ever again in a ring after this, really. He has a couple small, like independent matches, but we never see him in anything. Mainstream at all um, Again after this Vince I think knew that That Warrior was kind of past his prime also um, That's the that's the thing We Warrior actually is, is quoted Later as saying that He had his best match ever and his worst match ever With Hogan I think both the Savage matches are, are probably better than the Hogan match to be honest But uh, but I understand why Warrior would like That that Hogan match the first one That was the, the night for him uh, Double axe handle from Warrior off the top rope Hogan's busted open Cue the uh, low blow Everybody drinks another low blow He hits his leg drop And then like, What What the hell does Hor- you, you need this Horace Hogan involvement in this Like what I, I mean I'm surprised that Hogan even Like wrote off on this Because like, Hor- like Horace helps him win the match I figured Hogan would want Sort of a cleanish kind of a win Over Warrior uh, He misses a second leg drop Warrior fires back up it Looks like Warrior is going to win And then here comes Bischoff he grabs the ref by the neck Horace hits the warrior with a chair It is so bad Like a horribly soft chair shot um, Just I mean I love you Darren I love you Andrew I love you enough to where I would crack you guys With a chair in the back to make it look good I don't want any of us looking soft here You know like this, It just looks bad for everybody When you do that And uh, It's Tony at the end of the match too You could tell like Tony is just disgusted. So we'll start with you, Darren. I mean, I don't. Here we go. Here I don't we go. Really have anything positive? I mean, there was a couple times where they tried to recreate spots from WrestleMania six that were just yeah. worse. You could tell they were trying to go back to the well for things that just didn't hit as magically as they did hit eight years prior. I don't have a positive thing. I mean, I'm not even. T- I didn't even mention the, the the lighter and all that stuff, which we'll get to with Hogan. He pulls out a bag. It looks like he's got a bag of like weed or something, and he pulls yeah. out a baggie and it's got a lighter in it, and he's like trying to get the lighter to work. That the, the finish the, the, doesn't even end up working. Warrior has to sell it. There was nothing good or redeeming about this match. No, um, nothing at all. So, okay, the the crux of this match is supposed to be. This is the guy that Hogan can't get by. And the match, the story of the match should have been told from that point of view. And they started kind of like that in the beginning where Hogan's trying to beat down the Warrior and Warrior keeps coming. 
The problem is they did that for like a minute. That should have been a big, big part of the match. Now, the difference, the, the, well, this match had to be different than the match from 1990 because it's a different time in wrestling. Okay. In 1990, the kids that were Warrior fans really believed that this was some lunatic guy who nobody knew where he was from and was capable of all kinds of powerful, crazy stuff. Um, nobody believed that in 1998. It's, you know, it's only eight years difference. It might as well have been 40 years difference in terms of the intelligence of the wrestling fan. It's a different world. When they start to recreate some of the WrestleMania six stuff, the Greco-Roman knuckle lock, the crisscross, they tried to recreate one of the, what I thought was the iconic moments of WrestleMania six, where Hogan slams the warrior and the warrior just pops back up and Hogan looks at him like, oh shit. You know, they tried to do that again. That doesn't work twice. It, it worked the first time. You're not going to be surprised the second time when he gets up again because he already did it once before. So the match has like three legit wrestling moves in the entire thing. I, I think two body slams and a side suplex. It's, it's absolutely putrid. Now, into the backstory, because there's really not a lot about to say about how awful the match is. They bring Warrior in, and you can, you know, WCW and Bischoff can talk about whatever they want until they're blue in the face, that they had these grand plans for the Ultimate Warrior. Here's why I call bullshit on that. Number one, you have entered a time in WCW where the entire company is basically reality-based. They have completely transcended wrestling from the characters. The names even. Yeah. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Yeah. Hall, Nash, guys with last names. You know, this is who these guys are. They're street thugs, whatever. This is just them. They're people. They're not characters. Okay. In no way, shape, or form does a lunatic guy who just rambles on and runs and shake ropes and wears tassels and crazy face paint and crazy trunks fit into anything that they're doing. Not in that world. It's a different world. It's a different world. So unless you're completely incompetent, which is possible because we've seen some incompetent things, there's no way that you can say that this character is somebody that you had big plans and designs for. Because you just elevated Goldberg, who's a guy. It's Bill Goldberg. You know, I mean, might as well be John Smith. He's a guy. He's a crazy guy. He's a powerful guy. He's indestructible, but he's a man. He's not a crazy face paint lunatic warrior. So you didn't bring this guy in to give him a run. Okay, They had this a guy that's got like mystical stuff in Sting and they botched everything with him. You know what exactly. I mean? Like all those the, the mystical kind of undertakery, ultimate warriory stuff. They had it with Sting. They were doing a damn good job with it through '97, and then they botched the hell out of it with him. And now at, yeah. at this point, he's just another guy. So everything yeah. they said about that was crap. You're so right, Darren. Yeah, it's complete crap. Okay, the guy has three matches in WCW: the War Games match, 
a tag match on Nitro, and this. So you went from having these grand plans and huge whatever thoughts to a three-match run that ends with him losing to Hope. I don't know why they chose to do it. I don't know if it's because Hogan was cooling off at this point and he thought that getting a win over a warrior would do something for him at this point in his career. But that's what this was entirely about. It was about erasing or trying to erase the clean loss on the big stage for their big guy. Now, I don't know how trying to blow the guy up with fire and having him take a chair shot, putting you over, does anything for you. But nothing about this makes any sense in what's happening in WCW right now. And it's part of the reason why it pisses me off to no end. Because you insult my intelligence when you tell me what you what you were actually planning on doing when it makes absolutely no sense. And... I have no doubt in my mind that this is all Hogan ego, which bothers me even more. The match sucks. Warrior's done. Hogan is garbage at this point. You got, I mean, he's beating Warrior over the head with a belt strap, and it's not a no DQ match. That's okay. You know, we'll, we'll let him do that too. You know, that fits in. It's, it's just none of it makes any sense. And in my, in my opinion, from bell to bell in terms of actual wrestling, this is probably the worst wrestling match I've ever seen. And, you know, I'm not going to blame Warrior for that. I think they put him in a spot that he is completely set up to fail. We've seen think- Warrior deliver on the big stage. And, yes. and we've seen Hogan deliver plenty of times on the big stage. He's done here, though. He's past his prime. He's not really worried about wrestling quality matches. It's just... Again, everything about this show, this era of WCW, if there needed to be any sort of organization, any sort of, you know, sense of like order, it was done. Yeah. No shot. Yeah. Andrew, I- I'll leave you with this. What I genuinely think happened is this I think Hogan went to them to bring him in, the Warrior. I think they sold him a bill of goods. I think they said, look what we did with Hall, look what we did with Nash. We're sticking it to McMahon. You'll have an opportunity to come here and stick it to McMahon. You're going to get a run. You're going to main event with Hogan. You're going to go over here. You're going to go over there. I think they took advantage of a guy who had a lot of issues at this point in time, had a lot of demons himself that he was dealing with. I think they took advantage of all that. They took advantage of the relationship and the lawsuit between Warrior and WWE, and they put him in a spot to fail. And I and I feel badly because I think that's entirely what this was. Yeah, I mean that basically nailed it in about five minutes or so. Um, that's <laughs> as good a study as I think you could potentially have of this match. The one thing I will disagree with you on is I actually liked the crisscross and slam thing. I thought that was a nice little head nod. And I actually, the first time I watched this match as a kid, when that sequence happened. And when Hogan went tumbling to the floor, I had this feeling of hope that wound up just completely evaporating over the course of the next 45 to 60 seconds, because that was the one spot that the crowd actually popped for. Yeah, they were a little into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Warrior pops back up. He does the thing where he works the crowd and shakes to the heavens and whatnot. You know, that was actually pretty cool. 
Then the rest of the match happens. The NWO does a series of run-ins in here, and once again, the Giant shows off his athleticism because he takes a really nice over-the-top bump on a Warrior clothesline. But -hmm. what I remember about that clothesline is Giant tumbles to the floor. Crowds actually pop for that. They go to Warrior, and he's completely gassed. Just blown up. He's got nothing. And when you're built like that and not built for endurance, that'll happen. But the booking in this match was some of the worst booking I have ever seen. From an in-ring perspective, technique-wise, it's one of the worst matches I've ever seen. I've seen worse. Uh, It's certainly not from, you know, the big two on a big stage. But I've certainly seen worse. But my goodness, when you consider what these guys were able to do, on a match that we have seen and recapped already several weeks ago, this was just so many different kinds of awful. Uh, my, my one good thing that I'll take away from this is that I was able to get Darren to watch this match after he, uh, he sort of violently objected a week and a half ago when we taped this. I, I've only, I had only seen it once, Andrew. I swear to you. I, I never watched this match. I've seen... You know, I've seen the clip of the ending in a couple of documentaries. Uh, I have not watched this match from start to finish, though, in 22 years. Unbelievable. Um, that, that two guys who could do so much would get this kind of a match on a big stage. Um, but, I mean, just just awful here. As we get set for our... Oh, and then again, when we're playing, like, you know, the, the timing here. Okay, they got to know by now that they're running long. Right, they gotta know. They know by now. Everything's been over. Everything's running long. But what ends up happening? I mean, after the match, there's another three minutes of BS celebrating with Hogan, where he's just he tosses the ref, he hugs Horace, he tells Horace he passed the test, he squirts lighter fluid on Warrior, like they're gonna burn this guy alive, like they're gonna burn him. The officials come out and stop it, and then Bobby says, "Uh, every time he sees this man." He goes to the worst levels of humanity And he think and he does something else And Bischoff I, I mean this Bischoff is good you know but I don't know what he's going on here so um, Let's get to the, the The main event And Andrew we'll start with you I know we're running Really long today and you got a show uh, coming up uh, You're going to record a little bit after this too This This to me is Goldberg's best match It really is I mean Everything that I've read, Diamond Dallas Page pulled a macho man in this match. He's literally scripted the whole thing out move by move by move by move for Goldberg. The crowd loves Goldberg. The crowd loves DDP. This, you get the uh, Michael Buffer with the big fight feel here. Um, really long intro, though. Again, it takes a couple minutes, but this, you, I don't think you're going to find a better Goldberg match. Maybe you like the Brock match, it's, it's quicker, but this is a legitimately good, good 10 minute match. Yeah, this is hands down from a technique perspective, Bill Goldberg's best match ever. From an excitement perspective, you can argue Brock Lesnar's match at WrestleMania. That was pretty cool, but it's a different kind of match. Diamond Dallas Page was 42 years old. This was his biggest match yet. He had had some experience on the main event level with winning war games the previous month, and he had the run with Randy Savage that was just spectacular. But this was his first time in the real title picture, and you can see why. Dude's over. 
The dude has a connection with the crowd. He's got a really fun finishing move, and he's good in the ring. He's not spectacular in the ring, but if you let him do what he wants to do, he'll wind up giving you a really good match. So you have that guy, and then you've got Bill Goldberg, who gets a road warrior pop the second he comes out of the back. 154 wins, no losses. Story writes itself. Was really easy for them to book Goldberg as strongly as they did. What was not so easy and what they pulled off was making anybody else seem like a legitimate threat, let alone somebody who was 42 years old, who was outweighed by about 40 or 50 pounds, and who didn't look like they had any business being a main event star. Because Paige, for as good as he was in the ring, he looked old. He didn't look like your traditional main event wrestler. Mm-hmm. He just he just didn't. Like never, he's just an everyman. Yeah. But that's what they did here. And for the first time in the history of Goldberg's streak, you bought that someone could end it. That's what I remember about this match and how well it was booked. It was 10 minutes. There was no fluff. There was no filler. The announcers didn't have to worry about any NWO garbage. This was the one match where the announcers were on point. For that reason, there were no overarching storylines other than what was in front of them. And it was really freaking cool. Now, Of course, being WCW, they had to screw this up. We've mentioned this. We've talked about it. This was when some of the pay-per-view buyers, about 15 to 30%, depending on who you believe, had their feed cut out. Because with all of the things that we've talked about, with this this broadcast running long, someone forgot to tell the pay-per-view provider. So... Goldberg and Paige are circling each other in the ring and Cut. right before they lock up, <laughs> that's the show. And they My had to goodness. show this the next night for free on Nitro and then refund everybody. How stupid everybody. can you be? How stupid can you be? This was a tremendous match that people wanted to see because there was genuine suspense around it, but no. We had to have Saturn against Lodi. We had to have the Nitro girls dancing four times. We had to have Hulk Hogan cutting that five-minute promo early in the show. We had to have all the stuff with Buff Bagwell. Just, it's maddening to me how they could screw that up. But in typical WCW fashion, that's what they did. Having said that, if you've got the network and you think Bill Goldberg has never worked a good match in his life, fire this match up because this match is going to change some minds when you see what this guy can do with someone that can carry him. This was really, really good. Andrew, give us your closing thoughts, and then Darren, uh, we'll we'll go over this match a little more and close things out. And just to give you the heads up, Andrew, uh, it's my selection for next week. I'll let you know right away before we go. I'm gonna do it, folks. This is something that I spoke with Darren about a few weeks ago, and uh, I expect the next week's show to be another long one because we're gonna be talking Survivor Series 1997. We're doing Ooh. it. We're talking the Montreal screw job, folks. So get ready for that one. Next week so Andrew give us your Closing thoughts give us your plug and then go uh, go Record champagne and JD I like That pick because that also has Steve Austin coming back on a broken Freaking neck yep, winning for the Intercontinental Title there's mm-hmm. a lot of significance To that show I love the pick So I like this show For what it was and if you Understand that there's a lot of bad stuff Going on and you accept that It's a lot easier to accept the good stuff On this show Jericho Raven Really good match Disco Inferno, Juventud Guerrero, really good match. Bret Hart Sting, decent match if you don't overthink it. Goldberg DDP, really, really good match. And then you get the hate watch qualities of Hogan Warrior. Definitely skip Nash against Hall, though. That was just horrifying and tough to watch. But 
at any rate, as mentioned, I'm running up against the time problem of my own. I forgot to inform the pay-per-view provider that we needed an extra 30 minutes. <laughs> Shocker, right? That's how we end this thing. Real That's fitting. True. But at any rate, at Andrew Champagne on Twitter, some good racing coming up this weekend. Belmont coming up next weekend. Going to be a lot of really cool stuff going on there. We're interviewing Jose Contreras tonight. He has been incredibly patient, and I really hope you listen to this so that he gets the credit he justly deserves. But at any rate, this has been fun. Darren, I really appreciate you doing this despite being incredibly painful for you. But <laughs> it, you showed a lot of you know intestinal fortitude in gutting out watching Hogan and Warrior, which I know had to have killed you. Well, Andrew, thank you for bringing back wonderful memories. I appreciate it. But uh, yes, uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm definitely looking forward to talking Screwjob with you next week, too. Going to be fun. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. That's uh, Andrew Champagne. He's going to duck out. So, Darren, give us your thoughts on the uh, the main event here. I mean, you know, we know Goldberg is a guy who would come out. And, and at this point in particular, I mean, he was coming out wrestling 30-second matches, two, minute to two-minute matches max. We're not even talking about a guy who was going four and five minutes. So getting a 10-minute match out of him in a main event situation was not going to be the easiest thing. But these two guys had good chemistry. DDP got it out of him. And this is a really entertaining main event. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's by far Goldberg's best match. And I know that there are people that like the Goldberg-Lesnar match for Mania. And I liked it. it. It was a good match. This is a different match, though. This is the Goldberg-Lesnar match is who's going to give in to the other guy's finisher first. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's Spears, Jack Hammers. German suplexes, F5s. That's the match. This is a real match. This is, yeah, this is, there's just nonstop wrestling moves here. And it's fun to watch Goldberg do that. In addition, they tell a story in 10 minutes. It's it's a WWE-style match where the two guys tell a story in 10 minutes. It goes from kind of the beginnings of the workings of a brawl where, you know, they lock up and, and DDP's like, all right, I'm going toe-to-toe with you. And Goldberg keeps throwing him off, keeps throwing him off, keeps throwing him off. Then DDP hits him with an arm drag, and Goldberg gets pissed, and they fly through the ropes together. And you kind of get a little bit of a brawl atmosphere. And then it settles down, they start to feel each other out, and then you get into the wrestling match, and you get some really good wrestling moves. You get you get the shoulder injury to Goldberg. You know, he goes for the, uh, for the, uh, for the jackhammer. Can't get him up for the first time in 155 matches. He can't get the guy up, and they're putting doubt in your mind. Maybe this is going to be the moment. And then DDP counters, hits the diamond cutter. No matter what they – as long as the match was good, I genuinely believe no matter who won this match, they were getting a pop. Yep. I, even if DDP mm-hmm. won, I, think you, I, I don't think they could have went wrong with the outcome so long as the booking of the match was good. And I think probably six minutes in, the two guys knew – that they had something really good going on and they didn't have to worry about the finish causing an issue because Goldberg wins it pops. If they had decided that DDP was wins, there would be a pop too. Didn't matter. They do a great job. Great sell on the injury with Goldberg, putting doubt in your mind, really enjoyed it. Um, But like we said, if you got caught out of this pay-per-view before this match, You you really got ended on a much different note than those of us that got to see it. And look, I, like I said before, are there are there good matches on this card? 
Yes. The problem for me is simple. Hall and Nash is terrible. It's painful to watch Hall. Bretton's thing's not terrible, but the Bret Hart character that I'm watching it's disappointing. Is not, yep. It's disappointing. And as a huge Bret Hart fan, I have a very difficult time watching that match. The Hogan Warrior thing is just foobard for so many reasons. And if you take those types of mega stars in this business and you have an hour straight of just hot garbage. garbage. Yep. I cannot get into the paper. It feels like two different shows. It feels like if you took those three matches just off of the pay-per-view and then put the Goldberg DDP on the end of like the Steiner stuff, Mm -hmm. I'm fine with it. I really yeah. am. It's like this is one of those where like less would have been so much more because there was really just nothing offensive about the first part of the show. Like the Saturn loaded match was nothing. Okay, that couldn't have been on there. But these three main events and the problem with all the main events too, they weren't like uh we're building up a big match and then it comes out and it ends up being a squash and it goes two minutes. These dragged. They were fourteen yeah. minutes and another fourteen minutes and another like it's just way too long for all of it. So um. I didn't mind going back and watching it. There were some fun spots. I like seeing Jericho there. I forgot yeah. about how great this match was with DDP and Goldberg. I was surprised to see how over Rick Steiner was. But man, mm-hmm. the Hogan and the Nash stuff. And as someone like you, like Brett's my number one. He's my all time favorite. He's like the guy for me. Seeing this, it just reminded me of an era that I kind of forgot about. And I've tried to like black out of my head of that WCW Brett era where he just didn't care and it just didn't. It wasn't a good marriage from the beginning. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and of course, since you picked it, I mean, next week we're going to talk about, you know, the the event of what leads up to it. And look, I will I will preview a hot take now. Uh, I am not a conspiracy theorist guy, okay? But I will lay this out there about Survivor Series 97. McMahon creates the Mr. McMahon character, which changes the landscape of the wrestling business. Shawn Michaels gets a belt and goes over. Bret Hart goes to WCW and makes $9 million. Everybody makes out from the outcome of that show. On top of which, Bret Hart has a film crew following him throughout the show to create a DVD special as he's leaving the company, which was you like know, unheard of at the time, too, to like get that kind of, of access that that he they were yeah. given, you know, unheard of. And on top of it, McMahon knowing Brett's leaving and knowing he's got the issue with the finish, allowing a camera crew to follow Brett around. It's like telling me one plus one equals purple. Okay, it it doesn't make any sense from an. Un- Understanding, And if you want my hot take, I believe that the whole damn thing is a work and everybody was in on it because I, I, I don't I can't possibly imagine that that worked out so damn perfectly where everybody makes out and everybody comes out. I mean, look, Brett's career is never the same, but the guy gets nine million dollars. OK, Sean gets a belt. Mr. Man characters created. Brett screwed Brett. I'm sorry. These guys are smart. McMahon is smart when it comes to business like this. I think the whole damn thing is a work. 
That's the tease for the 1997 Survivor Series show that we'll be talking about next week, the Montreal Screw Job. Darren Zocali, thank you every week for uh, for helping out again, buddy. We look forward to next week when we're talking. I mean, ne- this week we, I think we broke our record. We're into uh, two hours and twenty minutes plus on, on this show, and next week. Next week we might even be able to go longer Because there's so much to discuss Just around everything dealing with Brett With Sean, with McMahon, all the stories All that stuff So look forward to it Let the folks know where can we find you out there on social media Sure thing uh, On Twitter, at the track 7 Wrestling, uh, you know uh, Obviously horse racing Anything else Belmont excited for coming up as well And uh, Meadowlands is back So now that we get a couple of races under our belt We can watch these horses And see how they come back out of the out of the break and you know get some action on the harness as well so yeah twitter at the track uh seven looking forward to speaking to everybody dz thank you very much we'll be back again next week folks with darren and andrew and we're gonna be talking survivor series 1997 stay tuned there's plenty more on that's what g said